it's turning into a full house tonight. And uh, yeah, that's an awesome thing. It's totally worth applauding. Um, if we've never met, and I haven't met many of you, which is really fun, uh, my name's Jay, and I'm a part of the leadership team of something called the Regeneration Project, and we have the great privilege of co-hosting tonight with South Valley Community Church and Westgate Church and Vintage Faith Church and Western Seminary, and um, we're just so thrilled you're here. You'll hear more about um, some of those ministries later at the end of the night, but we're so excited you're here. And um, I, I just got to tell you, I'm so deeply encouraged as someone who cares deeply about um, theology and the story of Jesus and the scriptures and uh, more than anything, really engaging all of those things, um, not just with our hearts, but also with our minds. As someone who cares deeply about those things, I'm so pumped that I'm in a room on a Friday night with like 500 people right now who are going to sit for the next two hours and listen to a debate um, about, about some of the most important questions that human beings have been asking for a really long time. So thank you so much for coming. Um, in a moment, obviously, the reason you all are here, we are going to have an incredible night hearing from uh, both Michael Shermer and Frank Turek. Um, but I want to introduce you as we jump into the night, I want to introduce you to our moderator. Um, Neil Mammon is uh, an engineer by day, and he is an apologist by night, and um, he founded a ministry called No Blind Faith, and uh, is the author of several books, and um, this is his, his wheelhouse, moderating uh, events like this. So would you please give a warm welcome to my friend Neil. Thank you. <clears throat> I have some prepared notes for my port. No, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, I, I want to uh, welcome everybody here in the audience. I want to uh, welcome the people who are watching the live stream, especially folks from the Christian Apologetics Alliance. And I want to introduce first the format for the debate. Uh, it's most debates uh, tend to be very formal. We wanted to, do, wanted to give you guys an opportunity to see the, the uh, debaters interact. So we're going to start with uh, the, um, the candidates giving their presentation. Now, normally in a debate, the person who is the pro on the pro side goes first. But this debate is different in that there is no pro side and con side because today's topic is reality debated. What explains reality, atheism or theism? So there is no pro side and con side in the sense that both have to present a pro side and both have to present a con side. So Dr. Sherman will be arguing that atheism better explains reality and theism just plainly does not. Similarly, uh, Dr. Turek will be arguing that theism ex better explains the uh, reality and atheism doesn't cut the mustard. So we will start with a 20-minute opening statement from Dr. Turek. We just picked him randomly. Um, and then there will be a 20-minute opening statement from Dr. Shermer. After which, we'll come to the part I love the most. They will get 15 minutes to cross-examine each other. And this is great because if one person avoids answering a poor, you know, in a regular debate, one person can just ignore an argument completely. This allows the other person to say, hey, you ignored my argument. Answer this one, right? So um, we, they will get to do that. After that, we get you guys involved. And that's where you guys have 30 minutes to ask questions. Now, that sounds like a lot of time, but it probably isn't. Uh, we may only get to about 10 questions. So we're going to have two lines here, one for Dr. Turek and one for Dr. Shermer. 
and I, my guess is only five people each will get an answer question unless the, deba the debaters are too verbose in their answer, in which case it'll be less. So let's hope that uh, uh, we have some time to answer those questions. Um, after that, they will each have a closing statement and we will uh, end the debate. So now, you might think that as an audience, you have uh, no responsibilities except to listen, but you actually do have a responsibility. And uh, you have to listen carefully uh, because you have to decide at the end despite whether both individuals are nicer or kinder, whether you like them better or you think they're funnier, that is not the basis for which you determine whether they won the debate or not. I want you to remind you that there are only two ways, pretty much only two ways, to decide if an argument is valid or to refute it. So, first of all, a declaration is not an argument, right? If somebody says something, that doesn't mean it's an argument. They have to explain why it fits into the context. So there are only two ways to refute an argument, or mainly two ways to refute a specific argument. You have to either show that the facts are false or incomplete, or you have to show that the logic is faulty. There are a few of any other ways to refute an argument. You're an idiot is not a refutation. It may be true, but it's not a refutation, right? So you just have to remember that. So I want you to remember that to as they go through this. And I want to start by introducing Dr. Turek. Uh, Dr. Turek is uh, an award-winning author and co-author of multiple books like I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Legislating Morality, and his latest, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Frank is the president of crossexamine.org, from whom he travels and presents powerful and entertaining evidence for the truth of Christianity. You'll see some of that today. He has uh, presented at high schools and secular college campuses, many who are antagonistic to his, uh, to his message. In fact, um, they were just telling me uh, Michael and uh, uh, Michael Sherman and Dr. Frank Tur and Frank Turk were at a recent college, and they both were attacked by what they both called the snowflakes on campus. So you can see that they have something <laughs> in common there. Uh, Dr. Turk has debated several prominent atheists, including the late Christopher Hitchens, David Silverman, president of the American Atheists, and of course Dr. Sherman. He's uh, Shermer. He's debated him once before. Dr. Turk hosts a weekly TV program, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and he has a radio program called Cross-Examined with Frank Turek that air airs on 186 stations every Saturday. Frank has appeared on The O'Reilly Factor, which doesn't exist anymore, Handy and Combs, which doesn't exist anymore. Hang on, Frank, is there something going on here? <laughs> Faith Under Fire and Politically Incorrect, which doesn't exist anymore either, with Bill Maher. In fact, I believe you're on the second to last or the last episode where Bill Maher actually got fired or he got fired shortly after. So beware of inviting Frank on your show. <laughs> a former aviator, aviator with the US Navy, Frank has a master's degree from George Washington University and a doctorate from Southern Evangelical Seminary. He and his wife, Stephanie, have three grown sons, one of whom who is here today. And uh, make sure you go back to the book table. He will be there if you want to meet Frank's son. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Frank Turek, come on up. <laughs> okay, let's welcome Dr. Michael Shermer. Dr. Michael Shermer is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine. He's a monthly columnist for Scientific American and a presidential fellow at Chapman University, where he teaches Skepticism 101. I want to take that class. He's the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, including Why People Believe Weird Things, The Science of Good and Evil, The Moral Ark, and his latest book, Heavens on Earth 
the scientific search for the afterlife, immortality, and utopia. Not to be confused with Ethiopia, <laughs> where I grew up, one of the places I grew up. Dr. Sherman has been an invited guest on the Colbert Report 2020, Dateline, Charlie Lowe's, Rose, Oprah, and Larry King Live. They all still exist except for Larry King Live. So apparently Michael Shermer is a better person to invite on your show if you want longevity. <laughs> he has been interviewed on countless documentary, documentaries which have aired on shows like PBS, Discovery, The History Channel, The Science Channel, and The Learning Channel. He received his BA in psychology from Pepperdine University, his MA in experimental psychology from California State University in Fulton, and his PhD in the history of science from Claremont Graduate University. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Michael Shermer. Thank you. Thank you all. Now, our time is short today. Um, so as we proceed, I will ask that you hold all applause while the person is talking till the end of his presentation. That just gives him a bit more time so he doesn't have to talk through your applause. Um, but uh, same with hurrahs and dude, your time is up also isn't allowed. Okay, <laughs> laughter is certainly allowed, okay? Now, Dr. Shermer and Dr. Turek will be assisted in keeping their timing with the two most beautiful girls in the world, my wife and my daughter who are sitting up front. They will hold up the two-minute warning, the one-minute warning, and the dude, your time is up warning. But, uh, but we'll, uh, so uh, just you can watch out for that, uh, debaters. So let us begin with Dr. Turek's first 20-minute introductory statement. Well, thank you, Neil, for such a dry opening. <laughs> Before we really get into this, um, you know, people always start by thanking people, and it sounds so obligatory. But it's really true. This is hard to pull off an event like this. So thank you, Westgate Church, for hosting this. And also thank you, South Valley Community Church in Gilroy, for uh, helping with it as well. Thank you so much. Uh, without those people, we wouldn't be doing this. And, and thank you to Dr. Shermer, who came up from the utopia known as Santa Barbara today. That's where he lives. So uh, he's a smart man. It, and it, uh, thank it, you for doing this, Neil, as well. I've, I've already been. Yes. And uh, the Charlie Rose show doesn't exist either anymore. Oh, just, no. just, just so you know. All right. All right. Um, one other thing I want to mention, and that is, before we get started, I'm from New Jersey, which means I speak at 150 words a minute with gusts to 350, okay? I'm going to go really quickly. In fact, when we do these opening statements, I think Michael would agree with me. When you do debates, the biggest problem is time. You don't have a lot of time, so you have to compress a lot into a short period of time. So we're up here playing beat the clock. If you want this PowerPoint presentation, I'm going to show you. All you need to do is go to that website, crossexamine.org forward slash debate. Send us an email, and we're going to send you this PowerPoint presentation. Even the slides I can't get to. So you're not going to be able to keep up with me. You can look at it later if you're really interested in this material. It's going to be there. By the way, we're not going to share your email address with anyone. But if you do that, in fact, if you do it right now, it's going to, in the next probably five minutes, it's going to be in your inbox, okay? All right, Anna, you ready? Are we ready? All right. We're trying to figure out what better explains reality, theism or atheism. And one of the hardest questions to answer from the very beginning of time has been, if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing? Why does anything exist, in other words? And I think when we look around the universe, we have to figure out certain effects, and these effects 
must have some kind of cause. In fact, that's how we know God exists. We reason from effect to cause. And there's a number of, of effects I want to go through here tonight. The first is creation. We'll talk about that first. Secondly is reason, the idea that we can reason to true beliefs. Thirdly is the information found in DNA. Number four is morality, objective morality. Dr. Shermer will agree that certain things are objectively right and other things are objectively wrong. Also, evil. Why is there evil in the world if there is a good God? I'm going to argue that evil actually shows God does exist rather than not. And then finally, science. Why can we do science? Why is the world so orderly so we can actually do science? It appears to be the product of a rational mind. And if you notice, each one of these effects that we're trying to discover the cause for is in an acronym, as I'll get to in a minute. We're trying to figure out the cause. I have to figure out what the cause is, and so does Dr. Sherman. Now, Dr. Sherman may not have the same uh, one cause. He may have several causes. But these are effects that require a cause. And this is in an acronym known as CRIME, C-R-I-M-E-S. And we're going to just go through this as quickly as we can here in this 20 minutes. The first is the idea that there really was, and all scientists seem to agree with this, there really was at one point a big... I'd like to keep the audience awake in the beginning, all right? There was a big bang, as even atheists admit. Stephen Hawking, who, as you know, died earlier this year, said, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the big bang. Now, Hawking tries to come up with another explanation other than God. I think he fails, but he's admitting the data. What's the data? That space, time, and matter literally had a beginning out of nothing. Non-being. Not a quantum vacuum, but nothing. Another colleague of his, Alexander Vilenkin, put it this way. He said, with the proof now in place, cosmologists, and by the way, a cosmologist is not somebody that puts on your makeup, <laughs> all right? Cosmologist is somebody who investigates the origin of the universe. Cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of the past eternal universe. There is now no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Now, Vilenkin is a believer in the multiverse. Have you heard of the multiverse? There are other universes out there, and ours just happens to be the one that looks designed, even though there's no way to verify this. But even Vilenkin admits that even if there are other universes out there, the whole show needs an absolute beginning. In addition to the universe exploding into being out of nothing, it did so with extreme precision. Stephen Hawking again put it this way. If the expansion rate of the universe was different by one part in a thousand million million, a second after the Big Bang, the universe would have collapsed back on itself or never developed galaxies. You change the expansion rate, that infinitesimal amount, none of us are here. You can't make any evolutionary argument for this. Why? Because this is the initial condition of the universe. The universe started this way. Also, the gravitational force is fine-tuned to one part in 10 to the 40th power. What's one part in 10 to the 40th power? That's one part in one with 40 zeros following it. You say, Frank, I can't get my head around that number. I know, neither can I. Let me just give you an illustration. Take a tape measure and stretch it across the entire known universe. That's a long way. Set the gravitational force at a particular inch mark on that tape measure. I realize gravity is not measured in inches, but this is just give you a scale idea in your mind. If the strength of gravity was different by one inch in either direction, across the scale as wide as the entire known universe, we wouldn't be here. Now, I don't have enough faith to believe that that value just happened by chance. Somebody put that value right there. Now, when you add up this, these two arguments, there's really two arguments here, the cosmological argument and the fine-tuning argument, you're left with two options. Here are the two options. If the universe had a beginning, 
We've got two options. Either no one created something out of nothing in a fine-tuned way, or someone created something out of nothing in a fine-tuned way. Now, which view is more reasonable? This is the interactive portion of the program. I think number two is more reasonable. By the way, both of these are miracles. It's a miracle to have something come from nothing without a miracle worker. It's also a miracle to have something come from nothing with a miracle worker. The only question is, which view is more reasonable? Now, ladies and gentlemen, if space, matter, and time had a beginning out of nothing, as even many atheists are now admitting, then whatever created space, matter, and time can't be made of space, matter, and time. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, well, we'll get to that in a minute, personal, and intelligent. Now, when you think of a being with those qualities, who do you think of? That's what we mean by God. Now, the next argument has to do with reason. Now, Dr. Shermer, in his uh, dialogue with Deepak Chopra, admitted that he's a materialist. Uh, Michael said, I explained that I'm a materialist and a monist. I do not believe that there is a body and a soul. There is just a body. There is no brain and mind, just brain. So Michael is buying into what we call materialism. And in effect, materialism says that every thought you have is, have is the result of the laws of physics. There's not really a mind there. You're just a brain. You're nothing but a moist robot. And so I think that there's a problem with this. Because if Dr. Shermer says my thoughts are determined completely by the non-rational laws of physics, I want to ask him, then so is that thought and all your thoughts about atheism. So why should we believe any of them? If every thought is driven by the laws of physics, we don't really know if we have truth or not. In fact, the problem here is, is that if atheism were true, we couldn't even be able to reason. Because if we're just moist robots, we're not reasoning, we're just reacting. And a former evolutionist, uh, or a gentleman who was an evolutionist and realized the problem with his worldview, Haldane, put it this way. He said this, if my mental processes are determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain, I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true, and hence I have no reason for supposing my brain to be composed of atoms. He got it. You know, even Darwin recognized this was a problem with his view for another reason. In fact, it's called Darwin's doubt. Here's what Darwin said. He said, with me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would, any, would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? Now, reason makes no sense on atheism, materialism, but it makes sense on theism. Why? Because our minds are made in the image of the great mind, and the laws of logic which allow us to think and communicate are based on his nature. The third effect that we need to explain is information, particularly the information found in DNA. And the best way of explaining this is to take you to your breakfast table. Suppose you're a teenager, you come downstairs one morning, and you want to have a bowl of alphabet cereal. And you see the alphabet cereals knocked over on the table, and right in the middle of the table, the letters spell, take out the garbage, mom. <laughs> what are you going to assume? The cat knocked the box over? Earthquake shook the house? No, you're going to say that that's intelligent design from an intelligent being, mom. Or if you're walking along the beach and you see in the sand, John loves Mary, right down here in Santa Cruz, what are you going to say? The waves did that? Crabs came out of the water and made that message? No, you're going to say that had to be the product of a mind because you know in all your prior experiences that messages only come from minds. They don't come from blind natural laws. 
Well, if take out the garbage mom requires a message, what about the message in every single cell of your body? In fact, every one of your 40 or so trillion cells has a message 3.2 billion letters long. Every letter is in the right order. How did that happen? Where did messages and codes come from? In fact, what we're saying here is DNA is a message. It's like take out the garbage mom, but a lot longer. And even Bill Gates admits this. He says that DNA is a software program. Gates said human DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. I don't know about you, where I come from, you guys come from Silicon Valley, don't you? Whenever there's a program, there's got to be a programmer. Now, Michael might say this is God of the gaps reasoning. This is not God of the gaps reasoning. Why? Because we're not arguing from what we don't know. It's not like we're looking, we just haven't found a natural law to explain this yet. It's that take out the garbage mom is actually evidence for an intelligent being. When you see take out the garbage mom on your, on your table, you don't go, well, gee, I, I just can't find a natural law for this. You go, that's positive evidence for mom. So we're not arguing from what we don't know. It's not a gap. We're arguing from what we do know. The fourth effect we need to account for is morality. In fact, evil as well. We're going to do these two together. And Michael will agree there is objective morality. Here's the problem from an atheistic standpoint. How can you discover who is morally better, Mother Teresa or Hitler, if there is no standard beyond humanity? In fact, how can you discover which one of these is better? Well, what you need to do is you need to see a standard or know a standard. In fact, how do you know which map of Scotland is better here? Is it map A or map B? What would you need to see in order to know? You'd need to see a real unchanging place called Scotland. Because if Scotland doesn't exist, then these two maps are meaningless. But if Scotland does exist, then we can see that map A, while it's not perfect, is a better representation of the real map than is map B. In other words, there's an external referent to which we can measure both maps. That, that standard is what we can do to figure out which map is closer to the truth. Well, that's exactly what we do when we compare Mother Teresa and Hitler. Mother Teresa wasn't the standard. Hitler wasn't the standard. There's a standard beyond both of them by which we measure both of them, and that standard is God's nature. I don't see how you can come up with a standard external to human beings unless God exists. Now, not long ago, I was at a church in South Dakota in February, I don't know why I went there in February, but I did. Anyway, we were doing our I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist presentation over several nights. The second night I was there, we had the microphone set up, and a couple of young men in their 20s got up to the microphone, and they were atheists. I didn't think anything of it, because if you call something I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, everyone's going to show up. However, the next night I was there, about a 50-year-old man got up to the microphone, and he had a question written on two sheets of paper, and he began to read it. About 10 seconds into, his pres in, into reading the, the question, he just broke down crying. He couldn't go any further. So I walked off the platform. I went down to him, and he handed me these two sheets of paper. And all he said was, read it, read it. So I'm trying to digest this two-page question as I'm walking back up to the platform. By the time I got back up to the platform, I realized that that man was upset for two reasons. Reason number one. That man whose name turned out to be Steve had just discovered recently that a supposed friend of him, friend of his, a man by the name of Tom, about a 50-year-old man, 
had been sexually abusing Steve's daughter from the time she was age four to the time she was age 14, right in his own home, under his nose, never saw it. The second reason Steve was upset was because the two men who were there the night before were his sons, who used to be Christians and are now atheists. They said, there can't be a good God because he wouldn't have allowed this to happen to our sister. There is no God. So I said to him, Steve, it's okay to be mad at God. Some of the Bible writers are mad at God. Read Habakkuk, read, read the Psalms, some of the Psalms, read Lamentations. God, where are you? God can take it. He's an infinite being. But I hope at some point your sons are going to realize this is not a good argument against God. In fact, it's actually an argument for God. Why? In fact, here's what I said to him. I said, when the time is right, Steve, I want you to say this to your sons. If there is no God, what that 50-year-old man did to your sister isn't really wrong. It's just your opinion. Why? Because if there's no standard beyond humanity, it's just his opinion against yours. By the way, the man who did this is still walking the streets. Why? Everyone knows he did it, but he's not in jail. Because every time the trial comes up, Jessica, the one who was abused, psychologically checks out. She can't testify against him. She wanted to marry him. So I said, Steve, when the right time comes, I want you to say this to your sons. If there is no God, then the man who did this to your sister will never get justice. He's not going to get justice here on earth if she doesn't testify, and he's not going to get justice in the afterlife because according to atheism, there is no afterlife. Do you really think that's the way the universe is? Do you really think there's no such thing as justice? The very reason you're upset, rightfully so, is because you know a great injustice has been done. But there can't be justice, or I should say there can't be injustice unless there's justice. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it best. He said evil requires good and good requires God. He says, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? In fact, it's been also put this way. The shadows prove the sunshine. In other words, in order to have evil, you have to have good. In order to have shadows, you have to have sunshine. Oh, you can have sunshine without shadows. You can have good without evil, but you can't have evil without good. Now, if something's evil out there, and Michael will agree there are many things that are evil, then there must be something good. What is that good? That good is God's nature. If there is no God, then there's nothing ultimately good or bad. There are just molecules bumping into one another. Now, Jessica... The girl that was abused decided to do something positive with this awful experience. She actually wrote a book. Here it is, Not Your Princess by Jessica Mitzel. I read one chapter of this book and couldn't read it anymore. Why am I telling you this? Because her father, Steve, wants many people, as many people as possible to know this. Because this happens too, far, too often in American homes. Now, ladies and gentlemen, is the sexual abuse of children evil? Yes, then God exists. I know that sounds counterintuitive because Michael's going to ask, well, why would he allow it to happen? That's a whole other conversation. But the point is you can't say God doesn't exist because it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be evil unless he did exist because he's the standard of good by which we'd even know what evil was. He is the standard of measurement. Finally, science. Why is the world so orderly? Why can we do science? Michael Shermer's a scientist. He teaches a class on this. 
Why can we do science? Why is the world so orderly? In fact, you might ask yourself the question, science requires nature to be goal-directed. Why is nature that way? For example, why do the planets reliably go around the sun? Why don't they go in herky-jerky movements or random movements? You say, Frank, because there's a law like gravity. I know, but why is there a law like gravity? And why is it so precise and consistent? It appears to be the product of a mind, not randomness. In order to do science, you need consistent natural laws that can be relied upon, fine-tuned natural laws. Where do these laws come from? And by the way, these laws affect living and non-living things. In fact, take, a, uh, take an oak tree, for example. Where does an oak tree come from? Well, an oak tree comes from an acorn. Well, how come when an, ac when an acorn is properly nourished, it always becomes an oak tree? It doesn't become an elm tree or a birch tree or a seahorse, right? It always becomes an oak tree. Why is that? Well, because it's programmed to become an oak tree. Yeah, but who programmed it? I mean, is an acorn in the ground conscious going, all right, what do I need to do to become an oak tree? No. It doesn't even have a mind, yet it goes reliably in a direction. If it doesn't have its own mind to go in a direction, there must be an external mind directing it toward an end. That is what Aristotle called the unmoved mover. Thomas Aquinas came along in 1200 AD and said, that's going to be my fifth way to argue for God. Even if the universe didn't have a beginning, it needs someone to keep everything in motion, an external intellect. That's what we mean by God. We wouldn't even be able to do science unless this existed, unless this orderly natural world existed. In fact, uh, Sir Fred Hoyle, who was an atheist, after looking at arguments like this, I don't think he ever became a theist or Christian, don't get me wrong, but he looked at the fine-tuning and some of these other arguments, and here's what he said. A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. Now, what do we do with all of these effects? Creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science. What do they tell us? Well, I think when you break these down, you get the attributes of what we call God. From creation, we know that the cause is immaterial, timeless, and spaceless. He's also extremely powerful to create out of nothing. From reason, we know this being is rational. From information, we know he's extremely intelligent and has purpose. From morality, we know he's absolutely morally perfect and also personal, because you only have a moral obligation to persons. You don't have a moral obligation to impersonal forces. You, know, if you go try and dunk a basketball, you're not sinning against the law of gravity. We also know that this being from science creates and sustains orderly natural laws. Now, who fits this? It seems to me that this is a theistic God identified without reference to any religious book. We're just looking at effects and reasoning back to the cause. So I'm saying that all of these things point back to our suspect, God. Now, if you, and this God, by the way, is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all those attributes I just mentioned. Now, if you want to go much further in this, you can. The book Stealing from God is back there. Uh, it goes through this in this order. If you just want the debate uh, PowerPoint, you can get that. And I want to point out that all the proceeds from the sale of the books will go to feed needy children mine. Okay? <laughs> just so you know. And here's my oldest little child who's now 30 years old. His name is Zach Turek. He's a captain in the Air Force. There he is right there. Thank you. He's hungry. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Dr. Shermer will have 20 minutes now. Dr. Shermer. 
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, comrades and friends, <laughs> seekers after reality. I guess I'm here to defend reality, which is a good thing because it's real. Um, tonight's debate on theism and atheism. How many of you self-identify uh, as theists? That is, you believe in God. Whoa, look at the time. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead just, just for a moment while you're in the hand-raising mode. Just for a moment. Just indulge me. You're atheists. You have come to decide there is no God or you don't believe that there is a God. Can you think of any reasons why sexually molesting a child is wrong? Can, can you think of any reasons why it would be bad? Really? Most of you can't think of any reason why this is wrong? Of course you can. All right, full stop. That's good enough. It's wrong because of all the reasons you're thinking of right now. Harm to a sentient being, long-term destruction of their psychological makeup, you wouldn't want it done to you, and so forth. These are good reasons, reasons to be good for goodness sake and not be evil for goodness sake. I was once a theist, as our host mentioned. By the way, you referred to us as candidates. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I'd, li I'd like to thank you for your votes ahead of time tonight. <laughs> you know, th there is an election this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's my other And uh, I mean, I, I, I was serious about it. I went to Pepperdine University. It's a Church of Christ school. I was a born-again evangelical Christian for three years. I went door-to-door, -door, Amway with Bibles, the whole thing. I totally believed, and then, uh, and then I became an atheist, and I went door-to-door -door saying, I, I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> sort of reminds me of what you get when you cross a, a Jehovah Witness uh, with an atheist is someone who knocks on your door for no reason at all. <laughs> I once saw a bumper sticker that said, militant agnostic, I don't know and you don't either. <laughs> now, it's important we define our terms. Um, that little quip has some uh, deeper meaning in it, epistemological meaning, that is, when Thomas Henry Huxley coined the term agnostic in 1869, he meant not knowable. That is, there are certain things we can't get at. Philosophers today call these Mysterian mysteries. They, they can never be resolved. This is what Huxley meant uh, when he talked about God as an unknowable uh, entity. Not you're waiting for one more experiment or another data set or a better argument and you'll make your decision one way or the other. Uh, he didn't mean that, nor did he mean like when I was on the Colbert Report, we were talking about this in the green room, and, and uh, I mentioned being an agnostic at the time, and he said, that's just an atheist without balls. <laughs> and I thought, I don't like that. I'm an atheist. <laughs> uh, but there's two types of atheism. There's weak and strong atheism. Strong atheists say, I believe there is no God. Weak atheists say, I don't believe in God. Slight difference. Uh, I don't think the first one is, is as tenable a position. I don't know that there is no God. I'm not sure how you would prove. It would be difficult to prove a negative in that sense, prove that something doesn't exist. Uh, but the null hypothesis in science, that is, I withhold judgment or I withhold belief until su sufficient evidence comes in, which would apply to any particular claim, uh, then I will reserve judgment. I will remain skeptical. I will not believe in your particular claim, whatever it is, Bigfoot, aliens, doesn't matter. 
uh, until you provide me the evidence, show me the body, and I'll believe in Bigfoot, show me the spaceship, and I'll believe in uh, UFOs, and so on. It just depends on what the, the evidence is. And so lack of belief uh, is the, different from believing there is a lack of something. Now, the proposition that does atheism or theism uh, explain anything is not quite right. Um, not believing in something or believing in something doesn't explain anything. <laughs> it's just saying, I believe it or I don't believe it, whatever the it is. And it also leaves out all the other positions. Deism, for example, can explain things. There was a creator of the universe, set the whole thing in motion with the laws of nature that are teleological and create structure and so forth, uh, and then stepped back and, and has had no further involvement in the process. Or pantheism, everything is God, which is more of a sort of a Buddhist uh, version. Uh, why aren't we talking about those? Or, or my favorite, apatheism, which is, I don't care if there's a God or not. Uh, I think these words are more proxies for religion and science. What better explains reality, religion, or science? The Oxford English Dictionary defines religion as the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. Uh, but that itself doesn't explain anything. Just believing in something or worshiping something isn't an explanation. You wouldn't offer that, say, if you were wondering, do vaccines work or do vaccines cause autism or uh, does HIV cause AIDS? You know, w whatever the question is. You wouldn't say, well, I believe in, I'm a theist, so I believe in that. What, what are you talking about? That doesn't explain anything. Maybe what you mean by uh, theism or religion is, is God. God did it. Uh, God being a, in your case, I presume, an all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing, omniscient, an all-good, omnibenevolent entity who created out of nothing the universe and everything in it, who is uncreated and eternal, a non-corporeal spirit who creates, loves, and can grant eternal life to humans. But even that, just saying, well, my explanation of X, whatever it is, planets, gravity, the universe, something rather than nothing, morality, consciousness, uh, you know, God did it. That's not an explanation. Those are just words. You're just plugging words into the blank, the gap. Uh, any more than uh, like people I deal with that are, are, believe in psychic power, astrology, ESP, uh, tele telepathy, and so on. You know, when they say, well, you know, it's just magic power that happens. It's this, you know, this ESP does it. That's not an explanation. We still want to know, how did God do it? How does this ESP thing work? So, for example, my, you, you mentioned Deepak Chopra. Um, he was a good friend of mine, and, and Deepak uh, believes, uh, along with some other, a couple other scientists, Roger Penrose and this guy Stuart Hameroff, an anesthesiologist, that consciousness arrives, uh, arises out of the uh, microtubules inside neurons. Ne microtubules are these little infrastructures that kind of hold cells together. And they think that there's quantum effects inside these microtubules in which there's this kind of spooky action at a distance in quantum experiments that, that's real. Uh, and maybe this is something that happens between brains. And so I could read your thoughts because our neurons are collapsing the quantum wave fields at the simultaneous kind of synchronicitous wave. And so my neurons are firing in synchrony with your neurons. And so we're reading each other's thoughts. Okay, I, I don't believe this. I'm skeptical. <laughs> okay, but it's a, it's, a, it's a legitimate hypothesis that's out there uh, to be tested. But even if it's true, that wouldn't be the paranormal. It would just now be the normal. It would be part of science, part of neuro neuroscience, part of quantum physics. Or it's even called that, quantum consciousness. Okay? 
So there's no such thing as the supernatural or the paranormal. It's just the natural, the normal, and the stuff we can't explain yet. The gaps we haven't filled. There's lots of gaps. But that doesn't mean my particular preferred hypothesis is the, the right one simply because there's a gap. Science in this sense is very conservative because most ideas that people come up with are wrong, including those by world-class scientists, which is why scientists start with that thing, the null hypothesis. We assume your idea is probably not right, but go ahead, give it your best shot, and let's see. So most ideas in science turn out to be wrong. That's why we're skeptical. So in science, we're looking... No, Frank mentioned science and reason. It's important to point out these aren't things. Science and reason are tools we use to try to answer questions. So the moment you say uh, that theism explains science, you're treating it like it's a thing, like reason is this thing sitting up there that needed to be created. It's not. It's more of a, think of it as a verb more than a noun. It's, it, it's something we do. And the moment you open your mouth to make the argument that reason and science can't stand on its own, you've lost the argument. You've just used science and reason to argue that science and reason can't stand alone. End, end of story. Rest my case. It's a thing we use to answer these questions. So, for example, I'll give you just one of many we could address. According to UNICEF, about 29,000 children under the age of five die every day, mainly from preventable causes. That's 21 dead children each minute. That's 10.6 million a year. That's almost two holocausts a year. By the time I finish this sentence, a couple more children will have died of these presentable, preventable diseases. About 70% of them are attributable to diarrhea, malaria, neonatal infection, pneumonia, preterm delivery, or lack of oxygen at birth. Some of these the Gates Foundation is working to eliminate. Science's explanation, these are all preventable, causes, preventable uh, tragedies. We know the causes of them. We can eliminate the causes if we have the right science and technology. We have the right science and technology and medicine. The delivery to these poor countries is the difficult part. What's religion's explanation? How, how would theism explain this? Uh, and we, we get things like, well, this is part of God's plan. Or, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Who knows what God has in mind for these grieving parents and these suffering children? What sort of God would make a plan like this? This all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God? Maybe a less-than-powerful God? Maybe God just simply can't save these poor children. Now, I'm not talking about human evil, like homicide, crimes, genocides, that you would attribute to free will and the fall and, and, and bad choices. I'm talking about innocent children suffering, grieving parents just in agony for the rest of their lives. Uh, what, what, what's the plan there? You, 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 Frank, you talk about you know, how beautifully designed the universe is. No, it's not. There, there's a lot of bad things that happen. And most of the universe is not beautifully designed for life. Most of the universe is completely inhospitable to life. And most of human life, all the way up until really just recent decades, has been largely just suffering and misery. It's just the second law of thermodynamics and entropy running its course. Diseases felling people, cancer killing people, human violence and aggression, war, genocides. These were quite common before just recent times. 
Now, the problem with explaining these uh, problems, these uh, forms of evil, with theism uh, is what I call the irrefutable God problem. When good things happen, who gets the credit? God. When bad things happen, who gets the blame? Not God. Wow, what a great system. So no matter what happens, the God hypothesis is confirmed. What would it take to disconfirm the God hypothesis? Just think, let, let, let that just float there for a second. What would it take for you to change your mind? What would it take for you to say, you know what, I, I think this idea I have, this theory, this hypothesis, as the explanation for whatever, maybe it's not right. How, how can I decide? What, what, what's my test? So if it's that good thing happen, good things happen, so God exists, and bad things happen, so God exists. What would it take to, to refute that? It's irrefutable by definition. It's simply an assertion, and as the late great Christopher Hitchens said, in what I elevated to Hitchens dictum, that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. In his great book, his last regular book, The Demon Haunted World, Carl Sagan opens up a, a chapter with a little vignette. There's a dragon in my garage. You want to see it? Let me show you. I got this dragon in my garage. Let me show you. Come here. Open the garage door. You look in. It's empty floor, empty paint cans, a ladder, an old bicycle. Where's the dragon? Oh, oh you, don't, you, don't, you don't see? Oh, oh Sorry. This is an invisible dragon. Visible dragon? Yeah, it's, it's invisible. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I have some flour. We're going to spread flour on the floor, and we'll catch his footprints as he walks around. Well, you see, this dragon hovers above the ground about a foot. So he doesn't actually touch the ground. Well, that's, that's okay. I got some of this spray paint stuff. We'll spray, and we'll catch the body form. Well, no, you see, nothing sticks to this dragon. Ah, uh, but he's a dragon, so that means he bellows out fire, so he generates some heat, and I have a thermal camera, and we can detect the thermal signature of the dragon. Now, see, this is, this, this is a special dragon. He's a cold fire dragon. He spits cold fire, so there's no heat signature. You, you see where uh, Carl's going with this. What's the difference between an invisible, hovering, undetectable dragon and no dragon at all. Now, you might say, but I, but I feel the presence of the dragon. I, I feel his love for me. I, I feel like when I think about the dragon, I, I get a parking spot when I wouldn't have, and I, I met my spouse because of the dragon's you know, love for me, and, you know, and, and the dragon explains why bad things happen, and you know, why is there a universe? The dragon brought it into existence. These are not arguments. These are special pleadings to affirm a hypothesis you already want to be true. This is like playing baseball without the bases or the ball. We have to have some kind of rules by which we decide what's true and what's not. Now, the problem with faith that theists and, and religionists use is that it's not a reliable means of true knowledge, of valid knowledge. And if you say, well, but, 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 but wait, Dr. Shermer, 
Don't you believe in love? I mean, I love my spouse. My spouse loves me. My boyfriend, my girlfriend. You know, there's no evidence for that. Yeah, there is evidence. You don't have faith in that. You know what you call love without evidence? Stalking. <laughs> we use evidence and reason in all parts of our life. If you're using reason, you're on the side of science. This is what we do. If you're using faith, you're not doing science. It's not reliable. You may get the answer by accident, right? But if your theory that the cause of things in, in reality, cause of diseases and accidents and plagues and so on, is that late at night, women go out and cavort with demons. You're either insane or you lived in Christian Europe 500 years ago. That was the prevailing explanation for the physical world, a lot of it. Witches, and by the way, parenthetically, one of the arguments for why they believed in witches so strong is because if there's no witches, then maybe there's no demons. And if there's no demons, maybe there's no God. So there's a lot of pressure on the church to find evidence of these witches to support the superstructure of a supernatural world that science was beginning to chip away at. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, Exodus 22, 18. Today, no one in their right mind believes this, except in a few of these third world countries where witchcraft still exists. So what, what we need to do is be able to point to something and say, look, this is the evidence I have for my claim. This is the evidence, this is the arguments I bring. See, see, see that right there? Look, you, you can check it, and you can run the experiment, and you can consider the arguments, and so forth. So we have to make a distinction between external objective truths and internal subjective states. Uh, so for example, if I say there's 697 people in the room tonight, that, 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 that's a proposition that we can objectively confirm or disconfirm by simply counting. Um, if I say the greatest rock song of all time is Stairway to Heaven, and I can prove it, and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, Freebird. Freebird is the greatest rock song of all time. Okay, these are internal subjective states. I have an invitation to go to Costa Rica, spend a week taking ayahuasca. Uh, so I can discover this truth that everybody who has taken ayahuasca knows is real. There is this other spirit world that really exists. So I, I've met these people, I say, show, show me, po point to it. What, you gotta drink the tea. <laughs> And then you'll see, like, yeah, but my friends that did LSD back in the 70s, they, they say the same thing, and we all know that's just brain wiring. Uh, all right, so this distinction I'm making here, that's to be something to point to. What we're after tonight, we're sliding into this area where it's internal, it's subjective. There's no experiment we're going to run and go, look, there it is. These are simply arguments that I can't explain these five things, something rather than nothing, origins of life, origins of consciousness, origins of morality, good and evil. Uh, therefore, you know, God did it. That, that's, again, to conclude, that's not an explanation. You're just filling in the gap. I'm going to stick it in there. Well, 500 years ago, 
you would have been putting in the gap. Women cavorting with demons, we'll call them witches and burn them, and that'll take care of that. And you would have now, looking back, said, that was a crazy idea. Let's not do that again. We've learned something. We learned about climate and weather and, and disease vectors and plagues and things like that, their causes. How did we learn that? Not from theism. We learned that from science. And science continues to close those gaps uh, and fill those explanatory voids. The, the aliens have come to tell me it's <laughs> my time. <laughs> and with that, I, thought I, I thank you. Off. It's all right. Thank you. Prior to the beginning, we agreed that they would be allowed to go over a few seconds here or there. And so I turned off my buzzer, but I was surprised <laughs> that they went off. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> so at this point, we're going to move into what is my favorite uh, part of the uh, discussion, the candidates, sorry, the uh, debaters. <laughs> my other hat is politics and Christians and things like that. But uh, so at this point, we are going to have a 15-minute cross-examination where each uh, debater gets 15 minutes to ask questions to the other debater and they get to answer it and then they switch roles after 15 minutes and at this point you can also throw in some rebuttal statements in mm -hmm. that uh, but however I do ask that if you do ask a question you allow the person that you're talking to to answer the question before you move on so uh, we didn't really decide who goes first did any of you have a well you can well, let's well, we go can over. just dialogue. Okay, yeah. I mean, again, it's, we've got about 30 minutes to dialogue, so we'll do 15 minutes primarily from Frank, and then at the end of 15 minutes, I'll just kind of say it uh, so you can go. Great. Tell All right, me. thanks. Uh, Michael, question I'll put on the board so everyone can see. If your brain evolved by an unguided, unintelligent process, and all your thoughts are completely dictated by the laws of physics, in other words, you're a moist robot, then why should we think your thoughts are true, including the thoughts you've stated right here tonight? Okay. Um, we're operating at different levels here, so you're t you, it, it would be like if you wanted to explain water by looking at the quantum physics uh, in the subatomic particles in hydrogen and oxygen atoms. How do you get water out of these quantum, these, these um, quarks inside the uh, protons and neutrons of the atom? Y you don't. It's a higher level explanation. Uh, 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 much like we talk about emergent properties. How do you get democracy out of atoms? Well, you don't. You don't use physics to explain democracy. You use political science. So we're, what we're talking about here is kind of different levels, explanatory levels, uh, which is one reason why we have different fields of study to uh, you know, think about the cause of things and economics or psychology or, or whatever. So, Well, I, I agree with you on that, that there are other fields of study. But if you're a materialist, unless you've changed your mind, all that exists are molecules. So again, no, well, why not, should not we all. believe what so, you're saying? So consciousness, well, that, 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 that's sort of a bizarre question. What, what do you mean why should you believe it? It, it, it would be like saying, you're made out of quarks, and, and, and so why should I believe you? What, what does quarks or atoms got to do with anything? Because we're if, about if, ideas. If, if we're controlled by the laws of physics, including our thoughts, why should we expect our thoughts to be true? Okay. I'm a compatibilist, so I believe that we have volition and free will. How? Uh, well, okay, so um, it, it has to do with emergent property of complex systems. So you and I have more degrees of freedom than a dog. Dog has more degrees of freedom. What, by degrees of freedom, I mean places to move, choices to make. 
So you know, rats make choices. I'll press the left bar, the right bar, I'll go down this alley, that alley, whatever. Those are choices. Rats make them, dogs make them, we make them, uh, and, and we have more choices, more degrees of freedom than, say, rats, than, say, cockroaches. Okay, so, like, what would be the difference between a drug addict uh, hooked on Oxycontin and you and I who are not? You know, you and I don't, are, are not under that sway, but this, this, the poor addict is. There's a difference there of degrees of freedom, okay? So I, I, would, I would answer it that way, that it, it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of different levels of how many controlling vectors are at work. Do you believe the laws of logic exist? Well, okay, not without humans to describe them. Okay, let me so, ask you this then. Yeah, yeah. You're saying the laws of logic are just human constructions. Correct. Well, okay, okay two things. One, there is a reality that really exists, mm -hmm. so we can measure the, the angle here. You know, to, to a bat's brain, or you know, it may look different mm -hmm. than, than on my brain, but there really is a table, right. uh, and it really exists. Even if I can't ever know what it's like to be a bat and, and know what it feels like to experience a table through, through echolocation rather than touch or sight, uh, but still, that really exists. So the, the laws of nature that we describe and interpret with mathematics and words, um, those are human constructions. There's no, like, second law of thermodynamics or, or a, a Newtonian equation in a star, a star is just doing what stars do. When they get a certain pressure and temperature, they convert hydrogen into helium. All right, let me, let, me, let me just ask yeah. you this, and you're saying yeah. they're human constructions then. So let me ask you this. Before there were any human beings on the Earth, was the statement there are no human beings on the Earth true? <laughs> yes. Okay, well then how could the laws of logic just be human constructions then? <laughs> well, but we're, we're asking that today. Regardless of when if, we're if asking. there's no humans, there's no one asking the question. But it was still true question. prior to that. How, yeah. how could you and I even communicate if you had your own idea of the laws of logic and I had my own idea? How could we even communicate well, unless we're... We, because there is a reality and we share a common neuroanatomy to describe it in ways that are similar. So this gets at the problem of other minds. Mm -hmm. How do I know your red looks like my red? Okay, these head scratchers that you get in philosophy 101. Uh, how do I know that you're not all a bunch of zombies and I'm the only one with the lights on? <laughs> okay. okay, my answer to this is the Copernican principle, which says we're not special. You know, the, this, the Earth is not the center of the universe. You know, the, we go around the sun with all the other planets. We're not special. We're just in a little corner of the Milky Way galaxy, one of 100 billion galaxies. We're not special. So the chances of me being the super special one human that's conscious and self-aware and the rest of you are zombies walking around and you only look like you're and pretending to be conscious is very low so that that's how right but it, you're still not answering how these laws exist because they exist even if human beings don't exist mm -hmm. the laws exist no. in the mind of god okay. otherwise you and i couldn't even communicate okay no okay so first of all they exist in the mind the mind of god that that doesn't follow from this at all that's a separate assertion we can come back to that when we talk now, about now, a law... Minute, that, 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 what you just said there is an assertion, and you're using the laws of logic to say it. If the laws of logic aren't objective, that statement couldn't be true. First of all, okay, so back up. First of all, it, it's not true that there has to be a God or else... That, why would God make the laws any special? What, what's God got to do with the laws of nature? Nothing. You're just saying well, that. That's, well, that's the very point. The, I'm not talking about laws of nature. I'm talking about the laws of logic. But if e you want to talk so, about the laws so. of nature. Those are just words we're using, conventions, mathematical equations. Those are all human constructions. Michael, I know you're not a postmodernist. Please. They're just words. No, no, no. no they're they, describing they, they, truths. Yeah, but, okay. Yeah, but 
Okay, the equation, again, back I'm to, skeptical so you're back a postmodernist. Say, say, say Newtonian equations, they don't exist in the sun. The sun's just doing what the sun, it's just physical matter doing what it has to do. We describe it. So before there were humans, no, there was no law. So the sun was not burning before there, there was were humans? No, law of, no, the sun, of course, is burning, doing its thing, but there's no law, there's no Newtonian equation to describe it. Well, there's no Newtonian equation to describe it in our minds because we're not here yet, but that Newtonian equation is still not the equation. describing the truth no, no, of what was happening. No, no not the equation. The, well, the equation describes what happens. The equation yes. doesn't do the work. The equation is our way of, of describing how it works. Correct. Okay, but that, that existed prior to you and me ever existing. The sun was burning before you and I ever existed. Uh, okay, I think we're... Let me move on to another things. question. Well, okay. we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about the material reality of stuff that exists and mm -hmm. then our description of it. Right. Well, you, you're, you're, you're going with emergent pro uh, properties, which appears to be a faith position. Anyway, uh, let me what? ask you this. If God does not exist, only molecules exist, what is the nature of the moral standard called goodness, and why are we obligated to obey it? What is that little ruler if it's not God's nature? Okay. Back to where I started. Frank. Can you think of any reason why sexually molesting a child is bad? I can wrong, think of, evil. yes, I can think of reasons, but they're all based on moral principles which require God. No, they don't. Sure they no, do. No, really. Do you really need God to tell you and explain to you why it's wrong to molest a no, child? No, not to tell me why it's wrong, but you don't need God to know right and wrong. You don't need God to be good. You just need God to justify what no, good don't. is. No, no. What? Right there. Stop right there and mm -hmm. leave out the God part. I know why it's wrong. Full stop. You know the why reasons, it's wrong, but why is it wrong okay, so, independent of you knowing it? So Plato refuted this uh, two and a half millennia ago. It's called the Euthyphro problem, or the Euthyphro dilemma. That is, um, if God says, say, murder is wrong, although technically by definition, that's what murder means, wrongful killing. Uh, it, but in any case, if, it, it, are there reasons why God is saying that? Yes, God has his reasons. Okay, give us the reasons. Made in the image of God. A and skip the middleman. All we need are the reasons why. But, you see, that, that implies a moral principle. When you, like before you said, the reason you shouldn't sexually molest a child is because they're sentient beings and you wouldn't want them doing it to you or vice versa or whatever. Those are all other moral principles that need a source. What no, is the source, source on atheism? Uh, the source what is, is the no, standard? Not, leave atheism out of it. Atheism isn't anything. It's just lack of belief in God, full stop. Uh, we could talk about civil rights, civil liberties, the, the rule of law. Where do rights uh, come conventions. from? Conventions. Okay, I think rights come from, the basis of it is human nature and what all of us want. Now, I think we're born with an inherent, innate sense of right and wrong. We know from research, like in Paul Bloom's lab at Yale, for example, with tiny infants. These are like six months to a year old babies. And they are shown uh, a little puppet show. So imagine there's this ramp, and this puppet's pushing this ball up the ramp. And one puppet comes up and, and bashes the ball back down and is fighting the little the puppet. My, uh, and then, Michael, well, let, let me, me finish. Uh, this is a great experiment. Okay. I'm, I'm making an argument for I, I'm not disagreeing that we all know right from wrong. That's not my point. My point is not epistemology. How do you know right from wrong? My point is, what is rightness on an atheistic, materialistic worldview? On a humanist worldview, uh, right and wrong is determined by a combination of our innate moral sense, our upbringing, what our parents teach us, our family, our social communities, and so on, which, by the way, have changed a lot. You guys would have been in favor of burning witches and enslaving blacks centuries ago. You don't believe that anymore. 
maybe 50 years ago, most of you would have voted, probably about 90% would have voted that blacks and whites getting married should be illegal. It's not God's plan. God separated the races by continents. These were arguments made in the 20th century. Okay, Nobody Mike, here would argue that today. Michael, your book... Gay marriage. Most of you were probably against this. I, I contend probably half of you tonight are already uh, in favor of it, or at least let it happen. In 10 years, we won't even be talking about gay marriage. Michael, why are any so of these right things... And wrong, right and wrong shifts over time, and it doesn't come from religion. It doesn't come from the Bible. There's no reinterpretation of when Paul said this, he really meant gays should get married. No, that's not how moral change happens. It's not happening through religion. I'm not talking about moral change. I'm talking about the grounding of morality. We if we're that. just molecules, well then if we do it, then who's to say Hitler was worse than Mother Teresa? Again. Who's to say that, that, that if there's no standard beyond either of them, how can you say Hitler was wrong? Can you think of any reason why Hitler was worse than Mother Teresa? If you say because he killed people, then you just brought another moral principle in. It's wrong to kill people. About, Why is it wrong to kill people? How about the survival and flourishing of sentient beings is a good, and the more we promote that and do it, that's good. Harming Hit, and Hitler killing says, people is Michael, bad. Michael, Hitler Therefore. says no. Hitler wants to flourish his sentient beings, not you. Yes, Why okay, is he wrong? So, so he was wrong because it's going, violating the sense that every autonomous person has of a desire to live and fulfill their destiny as Why is that a moral beings. principle we ought to obey? We're born with it. We're born we knowing it, but why should we obey it? We get it from, like, for example, our constitutions that we write. And we say, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to... So if it. we write a constitution that says gay marriage is bad, you're for that? No, no, no. Uh, oh, okay, so there's a standard outside the constitution you want to impose on it. Based on our nature, yes. It's, it comes inherent with the species. We're born with a sense of a desire for life, freedom, and autonomy. Which is why women have been fighting against the church for 2,000 years to have reproductive rights, freedom from oppression, from uh, males, and so forth. And we have all been bending to this because women say, that's what we want. Unless... It's, it's something we want because we're born with Unless it. the woman is in the womb. Okay, now, let's, let's talk all about right. that for a second. Let me... Let me go to a new subject, now, Michael. Now, now, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. No, no, you it's brought it up. It's my time, Michael. You brought it up. I should, I, and here maybe. Would it be immoral of, for me to stop you? It, it might be a good time to, uh, to use Bill Maher's line that Republicans are pro-choice all the way up to the time where their mistress gets pregnant. And also, uh, conservatives seem to be uh, pro-life all the way up until birth. And then after that, just war, it's perfectly okay to kill innocent civilians in Iraq. It's perfectly okay to put to death uh, people on death row. You've already argued that it's justifiable to kill certain people, even innocent people, due to some other cause. All right, so you, we're already on the same page no, there. No, 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 Michael, what you just brought up, there's a difference between an innocent child in the womb and a guilty murderer on what death row. What about an innocent civilian in Iraq that we bomb? Using we drones, that's why we try and minimize and those, we, because we, we know that person's damage. valuable. Well, okay. Let me go on to final question. only got three minutes left. Well, we what, can just dialogue, Frank. We don't what, have to all right. put a well, stopwatch on I, it. I want you to put me on the spot. What uh, blind natural laws can create com computer code billions of letters long? Okay, first of all, you were wrong about that business about DNA. It's perfect. There's not a single... Well, no, there, uh, oh, there could be mutations in it. This but. is not, not just mutations. 8% uh, of our DNA is viral DNA. This is called lateral gene transfer. It was discovered in the 60s and 70s. There's a new book out called The Tangle Web, uh, Tangle Tree, 
uh, David Quammen. I just had him on my podcast last week. He talks about all the new research on this. Eight, since the Human Genome Project, 8% of our genome is viral. How did it get there? It came there from viruses. Two and a half percent of our genome of everybody who's not in Africa, does not have an African origin, is Neanderthal. Give me the explanation, the theist explanation for why God put Neanderthal DNA, two and a half percent, into our genome. What's the purpose of that? I don't know what the purpose is because I'm not a biologist, but my question to you well, is, no purpose. is the DNA a computer program or not? Okay, these analogies we use, it's not a computer program. This is just a metaphor we use to try to understand. No, it's not a metaphor. It's it's one-to-one yep. -one correspondence. It's like computer code. You can ask the moderator right here. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're I'm supposed to stay Frank, neutral, but, but, even though I am an engineer. Yes. Okay. But really, Frank, I mean, th this business we can, of we can switch over now. It's yeah, about it's, it's your turn. So now. we don't have to but, switch. We, yeah. we can just. But I know talk. we can you continue. Can ask but me questions but put him on the spot, there, Michael. The aliens, have, the aliens are here again. Anybody know how to use an iPhone? What I'm not following you, Frank, so for example, from your beginning points, how you're deriving that there must be a single personal creator who cares about me from the fact that the gravitational laws are, are, are a certain way. I haven't gotten there completely yet because uh, I mean, this, is just, be, this is just theism yeah. at this could point. It, could it be a committee of gods? There could be two or three or a dozen. could be like a, like a board of directors that, no, it, that it runs can't, the universe. No, it can't for a couple of reasons. Uh, although you, you, you look at the platypus, you might think so. Well, but I mean, no, uh, um, but I mean uh, deism could be, that, that could be it. God set up the whole thing. You're right, thing. you're right, yep. And, and runs the show. It so could be deism, but I think when you go further, you realize that God has intervened in the world since the beginning. But uh, back to your point, uh, one argument which I didn't bring up is the idea that, the in, that everything that exists materially is composed, and it needs to be composed by an external force. Now, the force that composes the universe and composes matter can't be composed itself because then that being would need a composer as well. Yeah, so, so what you're getting back to is an immaterial, spaceless, timeless composer okay, these are just that words. is pure actuality, no potentiality. That being is, is, uh, isn't composed at all. It's spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. Okay, who created and there can only the spaceless, be one of them. timeless being? Who if you're timeless, it? do you have a beginning? No, yeah, of course. Look, if you're, if if you're timeless, let me say that again. If you're timeless, do you have a beginning? You can. How? You're not in okay, time. So now you're depending on the laws of logic that are failing because, first of all, we don't know of anything that came from nothing. There's no example of this at all. For example, quantum physicists tell us that the things that are bouncing off all of this right now, photons of light, they come from the inside of atoms. They're not in the atoms. They're not sitting there waiting to burst out. They pop out of the atoms out of nothing, out of the quantum foam. Okay, you quoted Stephen Hawking quite a bit. Hawking's point was that not that the universe comes from nothing, that there's not this like creation event from nothing. When physicists talk about nothing, they don't mean what theologians mean. They mean there's there's this quantum energy field out of which things pop uh, from just the pure energy. We know of no nothing. Okay, this is, a, this is one of these linguistic epistemological walls I mentioned that we're going to hit. We can't conceive of nothing. 
it's not possible for any human brain to conceive of nothing. Sure it is. That's what most no men think about. No thing. No thing. <laughs> See, the word itself, no thing, implies there's a thing of which there's no. There's, that would not even be nothing. It would be like my asking you, imagine yourself dead. You can't do it, because to imagine something, you have to be alive. Michael, don't go, don't go Lawrence Krauss on me. I mean, come on. Every, even, even, even atheists There's have panned no, his book. Okay, Frank, what, no, no, if, this, is a, I'm not, if, this isn't Lawrence Krauss. This if, is, if, this I is say, if I say I had nothing for lunch, that means I had no thing for lunch. I didn't eat lunch. It doesn't mean I had something called nothing. <laughs> okay. Again. We don't know anything about what the universe was like at the very beginning. As far as we know, uh, it could be an infinite universe going all the way back, not a beginning infinitely long ago, that the Big Bang creation from the singularity point was itself just on the continuum of there's always been something, by which I mean the nothing of quantum uh, energy. All right, let me... Okay, so... Again, we're hitting a wall here. I'm not saying I know what was there before. Nobody knows, and we can never know, as long as we're in this universe, what was there before our universe. It's just as possible that there were multiple universes, and by this I don't mean you know, multiple universes now. I mean a sequence of these, from which, for example, a collapsing black hole that collapses into a singularity point, which is which Stephen Hawking's great breakthrough uh, for his PhD thesis was that maybe this is how the universe started, was a collapsing, something like a collapsing black hole singularity point. It's entirely possible, this is pure science fiction at the moment, that super advanced extraterrestrials could engineer a solar system and a star to collapse into a black hole and create a universe. You could have multiple bubble universes popping in and out. Michael, This is a simply Michael, an engineering problem. What would you call a being that could create a universe out of a black hole? Michael, you're supposed to be the scientist. You would call that God. My, Michael, I'm claiming that any sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial would be indistinguishable from the God you believe in. You are, you are, you are coming up with a lot of speculations with no evidence. As are you. No. You have me, no evidence of me, this God. All you have let me are, show you. I have a gap. I can't explain it's not it. A I gap. think God did it's it. It's not a gap. That's We're not reasoning is. from what we don't know. We're reasoning from what we do know. If space, matter, and time had a beginning, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. No. What? No, that does oh, not what, follow. What is it No, then? no, no. Let me give you some of these, thought some of these like, like logical sequences. Um, here's a God. I, mean, I just made these up. Here's the paradox of perfection. If God exists, then he's perfect. If God exists, he is the creator of the universe. Perfect beings must create perfect things. The universe is not perfect. There's no God. Okay. Solid logic. No, utter no, bullshit as, a, as an argument. It's fallacious. But that's the kind of stuff that all of these arguments it's, are. No, it's fallacious, Michael. If this, and then this, and then this. Define, none of those follow from the points ahead of time. Define what you mean by perfect. Well, that's right. You define it, because I can't. Well, we don't have a perfect. When, it's not when, possible. When you're, when you're talking about uh, a world constrained by physical constraints, there's no such thing as perfect design. What engineers like Neil do is they find design that fits their purpose. Like this iPhone, I unfortunately have to recharge every two hours. Uh, <laughs> now, they could have they made the iPhone a lot bigger, but if they did, I'd be lugging it around like a suitcase. You need to get the five. Well, Stick with whatever. The, five. <laughs> the point here is, is that the engineers have to trade off between size and portability and battery life. So there is no perfect um, design 
unless you know what the intention of the designer is. So, so the, ask, the analogy there this, is, is fallacious, or the statement you, you said. But let me just ask you this. This is an important point whoa, here. Whoa, whoa. All right? Up here. You see, you see right here is this today. Is yeah. There's yesterday. There's the day before yesterday. There's last week. Let's say we don't know how far back this line goes, the timeline. Question is, can this line be infinite into the past? This would imply, if that's true, that... It, it, not that it had no beginning, it, that there was no beginning infinitely long ago. The Big Bang would just be the latest beginning of this universe. There could be multiple bangs, there could be multiple universes going all the way back. It, th this would be like arguing uh, there had to be a finite beginning or else we wouldn't be here tonight. Okay. No matter what would happen, you'd end up with this finite beginning. But let, let, let me ask you this. Um, Okay, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Oh, on, on, on the design question, since you have the timeline up there. Uh, so we now know the universe is 13.8 billion years old, um, and humans are roughly about 100,000 years old. Christianity began about 2,000 years ago. What was God doing that 99.99% of all that time? What, you know, if this is all beautifully designed and elegantly and teleological and purposeful, and it's all here for us so that we would be here, boom, here we are. Why the 13.7889 billion years of nothing? And then I think I'll send my son to this desert place in this Bronze Age culture where no one can write, and I'll give them the message. What As, was the purpose well, of all that time? Augustine actually answered that question. He said he was creating hell for people who ask questions <laughs> like right. that, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, my best friends are going to be there. Hitchens. <laughs> Sagan. No, obviously. Uh, it's going to be great. You guys should come. It's going to be <laughs> party time. Now, uh, Michael, God. But that's a serious question, though, really, because if you're, if you're building us into it as something purposeful, I, I realize you didn't go there with your argument. Mm -hmm. It's a di different argument. That's okay. But how do you get to Christianity that, you know, Jesus died for us with 13.788 billion years of nothing? And then I think I'll come in now. Well, you could read a book by Hugh Ross, which deals with that question directly. I have not read it myself. I just had him on the radio program. But I will say this, that, that God's sacrifice is retroactive. In fact, Hitchens asked this of me in the first debate we had. He said, what was God doing for all that time? And, uh, and he, Hitchens didn't seem to realize that Christ's sacrifice was retroactive to everything that happened before him. So uh, people that lived before him were still saved by his sacrifice. So when God came, working through free creatures, a lot of people say he came 2,000 years ago because you had a relative time of peace with a Roman Empire that built a road system and a language, Koine Greek, that was all around the known world at the time. It was the perfect time for God to come and spread this message through people around the ancient world. Did he, uh, did he die for the Neanderthals too? Yes, if in fact there were Neanderthals who had the capacity to make moral decisions. How about Homo erectus, slightly smaller brain? If in fact that was a human, a human being, yeah. Not, they're not humans, they're a different species of hominid. How about Australopithecines, little Lucy with the little, you know, single type, sort of chimp-sized brain. So Christ, in other words, there's a Christ scale sacrifice all the way down. How about my dog? Does my dog get saved? You see where I'm going with yes, this. Yes, dogs go to heaven, but cats don't. Clearly, they're <laughs> demonic. Okay. Here, here, we, we have agreement on this. I will concede the point. <laughs> Let the record show there is agreement. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I love cats. They taste like chicken. All right? I'm sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> this is devolved. I'm sorry. 
He believes in evolution. I'm de-evolution. Nobody's ever going to invite me to be a moderator again. Uh -huh. uh, or at least for the political candidates well, well, coming well, up. How well, about, Frank, how about not just time, what was God doing for 13.8 billion years, but, but space? I mean, we now know that there's roughly several hundred billion galaxies, each of which contain several hundred billion stars, mm -hmm. and now looks like pretty much every star has half a dozen to a dozen planets, if not more, and moons and so on. Uh, what about all those, what's, what's the purpose of all that other stuff if we're supposed to be the focus? Just one little third rock from the sun in this tiny little corner of the galaxy. What, well, why well, all that space? That hasn't been revealed to us if there are other life forms out there. But all those life forms, I should say, all that space out there actually demonstrates the majesty of God. I mean, if, if the clouds ended at the cloud tops, or if the heavens ended at the cloud tops, we go, hey, what's the big deal? But when you see stars equivalent to grains of sand on all the beaches on all the earth, spread out there, that would take us over 200,000 years at space shuttle speed to, go between them, speed to go between them. You realize the majesty of God. This is why both the Old and the New Testament say the heavens declare the glory of God. In fact, in, in Isaiah chapter 40, in, in, Amen. I, in Isaiah chapter 40, Michael, where am I? God, God is speaking and says, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. He says, in other words, you want a comparison? Here's what he says. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these stars and named them one by one because of his great strength and mighty power? Not one of them is missing. How do you know that the Christian religion is the right one? How much time are you going to give so, me? So, for example, <laughs> for example, uh, there's a billion... Uh, Muslims who uh, are absolutely certain you're going to hell because you chose the wrong religion. And they speak with as much conviction, they have great arguments and so on. Now, uh, or for that matter, my you know, Jewish friends and rabbis, they don't accept Jesus as mm -hmm. their savior. They believe the same God, the same book, at least the first part of the book, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. Hebrew Bible. Uh, and they know the arguments, you know, for the resurrection, the white witnesses, the missing, the empty tomb. They know all those arguments. And they go, nope, no, I don't believe it. So it's interesting to me, from a scientist's perspective, that you get so much diversity over such a long period of time, and there's no convergence toward, yeah, that's the right one. Like in science, like Big Bang Theory versus steady state cosmology, that was debated for a couple decades. Big Bang Theory, eventually, not the TV show, but the real theory, won out because there was more evidence for it. Uh, or, you know, just pick any scientific debate. It's kind of scattershot for a few decades, and then it starts to narrowly focus, and then there's a convergence and a consensus. That's the one. These other ones are probably not true. The thing that's cu curious to me about religion is that you get this sort of smattering. This is our afterlife, and this is the afterlife. No, this is the afterlife. Well, which is the right one? Well, they're all true or no, they're not all true. Yet. Nobody's going to say or that. They're not all true. But what's your standard of, of objective standards say? Well, we know that's the right one because, look, I can point to it. And when you point to it, why don't the Muslims go, oh, yeah. Because it's not a process of chemistry. You'd have to be an atheist to believe in the process of chemistry that gives you all your thoughts. We don't. Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's a free will involved. In fact, the way I show that Christianity is true, I go through the evidence that truth exists, God exists, miracles are possible, and the New Testament documents are telling us the truth about the resurrection. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then whatever he teaches is true because he's God. So I, I just have a personal policy. If somebody rises from the dead, I just believe whatever they say. Okay? Now, Michael, Michael. You're I will right. point out, in India, there's a god-man named uh, Sai Baba. He's dead now. But huh? he had millions of followers. 
He could raise the dead. He said he came back from the dead. He could perform miracles. Millions of people believed him. Well, look, sometimes... But you don't believe in Sai Baba. Sometimes people are deceived. But let's run a very quick experiment here. Oh, whoa, 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 wait, stop right there. Sometimes we are, right? Yes. We can be self-deceived. Uh, I think we've just witnessed it tonight. Okay. And I rest my case. Thank okay. you. Our 30 uh, minutes thank you very up. much, ladies and gentlemen. No, Michael, we are gonna, we're going to do a short experiment here. This is uh, for the Christians in the room. Christians... I want to ask you guys a question. I want you to think of somebody you know who's not a Christian whom you'd like to be a Christian. Everybody got somebody? Friend, relative? Okay, next question. Am I one of them? <laughs> <laughs> They're thinking about you, Michael. Next question. Is the person you're thinking of on a relentless pursuit of truth? They want to know if Christianity is true or not. Or are they apathetic or maybe even hostile? How many say the person I'm thinking of, of is on a relentless pursuit of truth? A hand and a half. How many people say the person I'm thinking of is apathetic or hostile? Yeah, there you go. There's the answer. Free will. They don't want it to be true. Most people are not what? on a truth quest or on a wait, happiness wait a quest, as my friend Andy Stanley wait, you're, says. You're saying this about Orthodox Jews? They don't want to know what the truth is? I don't are know you, what each individual person me? is. They are as you, deeply religious as you, okay, the, but they don't accept Jesus as their Savior. Okay, so what I'm saying is that these are free will, Michael. kinds of questions. People have free will. Okay, they have free will. They choose not to believe mm -hmm. Jesus was the Messiah. Mm -hmm. They even believe that there is a Messiah. He just hasn't come yet. Mm -hmm. That's pretty close. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to let them in for that, right? <laughs> hey. Uh, and still, okay. but so, last, again. Last couple yeah. of seconds, right. so go ahead. All right. Wrap up. We, we can go to Q&A. Okay, yeah. so yeah. let's do this now. We're going to go right to Q&A. We're going to have two lines here, and remember... Um, as we go to the questions, it's, it's one line because we only have no, so no, many one cameras. line, but two lines oh, on I the same side. Okay. Uh, that way we can go to we can each question each uh, candidate. Sorry, <laughs> each <laughs> debater can get one question, and then we'll go to the next one. So we're gonna have two lines here. We'll have the line for Dr. Shermer on the right, line for Dr. Turk on my left, my left. No, um, no, no, right here. They're both right next to each other. Right here. <laughs> so if you're for Do if you want to ask a question for Dr. Shermer, go on this side of the microphone. If you want to have a question for Dr. Turek on the other side of the microphone, that way we can inter interchange between the two. And here's the rules. No preaching, no, no, preaching. <laughs> no long uh, diatribes, just a straight question. If you need to set up the question, you have 30 seconds for your question, and at which point each of them will have uh, the person you ask. And please tell us who you're asking the question to. That person will have two minutes, and then the other person will have a minute to respond. All right. Go ahead, and, your, and please tell us your name too, please. All right. Mike Chuck. All right. Hi, uh, I'm Kevin. Oh, hang on. The camera on. has to be set in place. Sure. So again, two lines, so I know who is who. So Dr. Shermer, questions on the right of the microphone. Dr. Turek on the left of the microphone. My left. My left. <laughs> Am I confusing you all? Yeah. <laughs> Tarek on his side, Shermer on his side. How's that? <laughs> when the cameraman gives us the go-ahead, you guys can talk while we're doing that, or you want to take a break. Are we ready? Hey, Clint. Cameraman? Clint, we ready? Okay. okay. Go ahead, please. Your name first. Oh, he needs to get to the back. To uh... In the meantime, you can pray for my soul. <laughs> <laughs> You never know.
This allows us to broadcast this on the internet, so that's why we're taking this time. Are we good to go? Should I tell a joke? <laughs> well, so, so there, was this, uh, there was this guy on a desert island, and he'd been there for like five years, and finally he got rescued. And when they came to rescue him, they were taking him in the helicopter. The rescuer said, this is my wife's joke, by the way. She says it much better. The rescuer said, when we, you know, we saw all these, we saw a few of these huts on the island. What were they? He says, well, one was my house. He goes, oh, great. What was the other one right next to your first, your house? He says, oh, that was the church. That was my church. Oh, oh, that's nice. And then he said, well, what was the other hut over there? And the guy has, gets this really sad look on his face. He goes, an angry look on his face. He goes, that was the church I went to before. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready? <laughs> okay, go. All right. Hi, uh, I'm Kevin Aziz. And my question is to Dr. Turek. Um, actually, before I came here, I was watching your debate with Hitchens some years ago before. And rest his, rest in his peace. Rest his soul. Um, but... He said something to you which I didn't think you had a chance to necessarily respond to. So he said, if, um, if Jesus, if, if he said it could be possible to trace back the birth, that there could be some type of immaculate conception. But even if we were, we were to be able to do that, that wouldn't prove the proposition that any of his moral teachings were correct or that um, we should l technically listen to anything he, he has to say on the subject of morality or, or doesn't prove the doctrine of Christianity. And my second part of the question, sorry, it's a very quick bilateral. Um, given every religious claim on offer, given every doctrine um, professed or confected, um, every, it seems as if every believer should expect damnation as a matter of mere probability, given uh, profession of belief or how sincerely or seriously they hold their belief. So why would any, any deity want credulity running on their hardware rather than any any other moral behavior? I mean, if I'm if I'm understanding the second part of this question, um, why would why would a Christian God want credulity? As why would a Christian God want what? Credulity. Why would he want worship in any sense to be? He doesn't somehow? need worship. He's an infinite being. Well, we get the a, benefit of worship. He's jealous, right? But you have. He's jealous. That's right. Just like you would be jealous if your wife was dating somebody else, rightfully so. But I've known people that well, got over jealousy. I would think a God could do better than that. No, jealousy <laughs> is a good virtue if it's properly directed. You should be jealous if your wife's dating somebody else, right? Why would God be like that? Because he loves us. Why? Because he doesn't Why? want us going to idols or other, other gods. He wants to ensure that we uh, get the benefits of knowing him. That's why we're here. So uh, God just doesn't want intellectual assent. Even James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote that little book in the New Testament called? James, James thank you. He, he said, even the demons believe that God exists, but they tremble. They don't trust in him. And the reason they don't trust in him is they don't want to. Right, but sorry, I, actually, I one more quick thing. How can you, sorry, sorry, guys. Um, how can you prove the truth of the Christian doctrine given every other claim of any other religion or any other book? Holy well, I've book, got a minute, but my book, I sorry, Don't Have Enough Faith quick, to Be sorry. an Atheist, is what goes into that, okay? Now, prove, depends what you mean by prove. I think it's true beyond a reasonable doubt. Could I be wrong? Of course. Okay. Okay. Next, sorry. Um, question for Dr. Shermer next. 
Well, it's okay. Well, he he can respond too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you get you, you want to respond, respond to that, to that? I, Michael? Like yeah. Well, this is too high for me. Yeah, let, let, let <laughs> let's hear from this young man. Yeah. <laughs> Did the you wisdom of a Thanks. child. <laughs> that's no, Mateo that's right. over there. I mean, I agree with the the first question. I mean, mm -hmm. what's mm -hmm. the, this whole business about? I gotta have him believe in me. This is like a barely better than a Greek god that gets angry and jealous and. I mean, if there's a God, he can't be like us that's just, you know, full of emotions and all these flaws. Come on. You're right. It's called impassibility. So, anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Quit, okay, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, young man. So my question is, how, uh, if the second law of thermodynamics is true, then how can evolution also be true? Because it makes things decay over time, so it cannot be go from simple to bigger and better. Yep, very good. We have a Thank you. budding physicist here. Uh, this, this is actually a very old, um, kind of old style creationist uh, argument that, that intelligent design creationists don't use anymore. Uh, because the, um, the second law of thermodynamics only uh, applies to closed systems uh, in which the sources of energy are fixed and then they run down. In an open system like the sun, uh, providing energy to us, or in the case, a smaller fraction of our energy comes from the core of the earth. Um, uh, that's energy put into the system. You put energy into the system, it drives complexity. So, for example, you could put your coffee into the microwave and heat it up. That's putting an energy system into, uh, into the cup, into the coffee. So the second law of thermodynamics was initially discovered just as a theory of heat. Uh, dissipation and how it happens. So, and and it, it's there's really nothing magical about it. It's like there's just more ways for say grains of sand to kind of fall into this gruel of uniformity versus say a sand castle, which requires some effort and energy to put into it and then gets washed away and so on. So it's just the number of ways things could be uh, and how much energy it takes to put into it. So evolution starts with the premise that there's energy being put into the system. Now, the whole universe of ultimately is running down. The heat death of the universe will come about, uh, not in your lifetime, fortunately. Uh, and, uh, but, but when that happens, then, of course, there's no evolution. But me, the animals only gain, inf uh, cannot gain information, which is the whole theory of evolution. They're gaining information. They yes, can't. correct. They're they, only they, losing they, information. That, that's right. This is really a good question. Um, the, the information increase uh, in genomes is trackable both in the fossil record through uh, the uh, a phenotype or the morphology of the, what genes do. They, they make bodies. Uh, but also now, thanks to uh, the Human Genome Project and all the DNA sequencing we've had over the last 50 years or so, we can track back. I mentioned that 8% of our genome is viral. Uh, due to this lateral gene transfer. So when viruses get into the human body, they can inject. What viruses are, they're not exactly living uh, organisms. They're sort of halfway between non-living and organic and organic organisms. They inject their DNA into our cells, and that, that can then be adopted throughout the whole body. And then they get passed on to your offspring. So it's, it's a kind of a non-Darwinian or neo-Darwinian uh, mechanism of gene transfer. But that also increases. Uh, the information load of the genome. So, for example, you and I are all made out of what are called eukaryotic cells. Uh, these have a little, a karyot is the little nucleus of the cell where our DNA is stored. Uh, but we also have these little things called mitochondria. These are the little energy uh, s systems inside the cell. Uh, 
Mitochondria also have DNA. And it was discovered by the great, late, great uh, Lynn Margulis, an MIT biologist, uh, through her theory that she called endosymbiosis, that those little mitochondria were themselves once much simpler living organisms by themselves that then got, through this sort of cooperative process, incorporated into the cells that became larger and larger. The little cilia that you see, these little, uh, these little sort of threads that hang off cells and, and, and swirl around and push cells around. To something the size of a cell, water is like syrup. You gotta really push to go through it. So they gotta have something to propel them along. Those little spirochetes, those themselves were once individual cells. So you start adding these things up, each of them have their own DNA. The DNA becomes more and more complex. Information increases, scales up very dramatically over long periods of time. I mean, quickly, what Michael said is right about the, the first part where he said that once you have a living thing, then it can take energy from the outside. The hardest problem for naturalists and atheists is where did the first living thing come from? And the information you're talking about is not enough to build a new body plan, because even if you have new DNA in there, you need epigenetic information, which is the structure of the cell, and you can't get that through mutating DNA. That's why the Royal Society out there in the UK in November of 2016 had a meeting about why the current theory of neo-Darwinian evolution is on the ropes. And these are the atheists saying this. Okay, forget atheists. So what is your explanation for where body plans come from? G-O-D. <laughs> okay. Again. Let's, uh, let's go to the next it's question. It's not an explanation. It's just a word. Well, why is it not an explanation? If and God let's say, exists, let's say Frank, why is it not an explanation? You're ruling it out in advance. Okay, it's a philosophical presupposition. Let's, let's say in 10 years, biologists have all agreed, yeah, that's the explanation for body plan. We come back and you go, yeah, of course, uh, of course science can explain that. I'm talking about this gap because, over here. Because that's where God The reason it. is because natural laws have not demonstrated the ability yeah, yeah. to create new body and, plans. That's the problem. That. Body plans actually have and several And you have positive evidence that body plans plants, including epigenetic information, and, and more DNA are, are required, which means you need an intelligent being to infuse no, that into no, the no. system. Okay, what I just <laughs> described happens naturally. You just put energy let's, into uh, the system. And, and uh, nature is caused by who? Question, please? All right, no. sorry. Just one more. No, no actually, we got to keep moving, Mateo. Moved we got to so keep moving, Mateo. Let's go. We want to give other people a chance. Okay. Thank you. Good but you're, but you're awfully great. Hey, yeah. hey. Great question. Hey, Mateo. Mateo, why don't you come up here? You're better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Question for uh, Dr. Turek. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, and I really appreciate it. And your name, please, too. Oh, Dave Adler. Hey, Dave. And I'm a physicist, and uh, some of my best friends are evangelical Christians, and I'm always jealous of their faith. Okay, so I've spent a lot of time thinking about God and how I can reconcile it with physics. And so I think tonight um, you presented what seemed to be opposing views on, on God. And my question for you is, is this really, is it a problem for you if somebody doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in Jesus specifically? And if they have a different belief, why do you feel that yours is right and theirs is wrong? Well, I think there's evidence, and if someone were to say, like, Michael believes his view's right, I mean, why is he up here debating it if he doesn't think it's right, right? He thinks it's right, too. The question isn't whether or not we have different positions. The question is, which position is true? And if Christianity is true, as C.S. Lewis said, it's the most important fact in the universe. It, what it can't be is just moderately important, right? But don't you, um, is there a truth beyond science 
that cannot be proven. Yeah, in fact, that truth right there, that there's truths beyond science isn't a scientific truth. You can't get all your truth from science. People who say all truth comes from science, well, that truth doesn't come from science. It's a self-defeating proposition. So if there's a conflict between science and your religion, mm -hmm. if they disagree, mm -hmm. then do you pick your religion because you believe it and know it to be true? Well, you'd have to give me a, you'd have to give me a particular proven? example because according to uh, Christianity, we believe in two types of revelation. General revelation, which is the natural world, which includes our ability to do science, plus special revelation, which is the Bible. And those two, if they're both true, they don't contradict. Okay, now there are, there are places where we might think that they contradict at this point. What do we do? We keep doing research. Just like we, as, as Michael keeps doing research in the scientific world, Christians are still doing research in the scientific world to see how it lines up with the scriptures. And sometimes we have answers, sometimes we don't. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, so there is a, a, a pretty popular American religion uh, embraced by millions of Americans uh, that believes there were Latter-day Saints. In fact, uh, one of them... Uh, lived in Palmyra, New York, and he was visited one night by an angel who told him about these... I think he, I think he was these, the main guy. He told him about these gold plates that were buried in his backyard, and he dug them up, and he put his hat, in, his head inside this hat that was filled with these magic stones, and he read those gold plates that were written in Egyptian hieroglyphics and translated them and wrote them down, and he had eyewitnesses to this who all signed an affidavit on the first page of the Book of Mormon and said, I was there. I saw it happen. Why don't you believe that? Because uh, the evidence isn't there. And I can make, by the way, I can make golden plates in my garage. That's not a miracle. Well, Secondly, all the witnesses, or most of the witnesses anyway, recanted. And uh, thirdly, Joseph, Joseph Smith's... Okay, Joseph okay, okay. Smith's, hang on, hang on, hang on. Excuse please, me, ma'am. Um, Joseph, he's right. mm -hmm. Joseph Smith's um, uh, translation of the book of Abraham was found to be a forgery. Now, I'm not saying Mormons aren't nice, nice people, don't get me wrong. I just don't think the evidence is there for the claims of Joseph Smith. Let's go to the next question. Uh, do you have a question for Dr. Shermer? Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. The kids well, seem to these, love putting you on the spot. Dr. Yeah, these Shermer. are the tough ones. <laughs> According to evolution, people are just pointless because they happen by chance, but then why is harm wrong if, if it happens to things that are just pointless? Good question. I call this um, Alvy's error. Alvy is Alvy Singer, Woody Allen's character in Annie Hall. And Woody has a flashback, if you recall, in the beginning of the film where he's a young child about your age. And uh, he doesn't want to do his homework anymore. So his mom takes him to the psychiatrist. Alvy, why won't you do your homework anymore? The universe is expanding. The universe is expanding. Yes, the universe is expanding. And eventually it's all going to blow up. So there's no point in doing any of this. I'm not doing my homework. <laughs> and his mother says, what's the universe got to do with it? We live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's not expanding. <laughs> The point is that we're talking about different levels of analysis. Yes, we're made of atoms. Everything is made of atoms and molecules and DNA. And so chemi chemi we're just chemicals. We're just a bag of chemicals. You know, you could phrase it that way. That's a, that's, it's a certain level of analysis. But we're so much more than that. You know, we're capable of all these just amazing things, including finding purpose and meaning in life through each other.
It doesn't matter if there's a hereafter. We live here and now. Uh, we care about each other. We love each other. We, we have purpose in interacting with each other. That's very human, and that's very valuable. Whether or not there is some outside source to validate it really doesn't matter. You should just be good for goodness sake. Frank? Yeah, uh, well, I think we went through that for ad nauseum before. Okay. But so let's go to the next question yeah, first. But it's a great By question. By the way, folks, if you could just I, ask let, one let, question. Let me, let me just say I agree with Michael that you can make your own subjective meaning, but there's no overarching meaning if God doesn't exist, and there's no good if God doesn't exist either. Question for Dr. Turk. Yes, sir. And by the hello. way, we only have about 10 more minutes, so we probably won't get to more. Yes, sir. What's your hello, name? Hello, Dr. Turk, uh, Frederick. And so you said God is required to explain justice. And I want to say that again. I'm sorry. God is required to explain justice. And I want to ask you, is God still just if Jessica's abuser needs only to believe and repent and then he will see Jessica and her father in heaven and will never pay for his crimes. Okay, yes, God is a God of justice. It's an excellent question, but he's also a God of love, and that's why Christ had to come. The, the, the accuser or the, the person that committed the crime isn't taking the punishment on himself. Jesus is. That's, that's why, it, and it's, it's not fair. You're right. It's grace. It's not supposed to be justice. Here's the problem, though. Not just somebody who has done an awful crime like this. Every person in this room, if you asked for justice and got it, you wouldn't like it, neither would I. I don't want justice. I want grace. So you said him not going to jail in this life is not just, is just as not being served. Yet, if, if he, he goes, repents, he'll never even pay in hell. Well, he he'll will, get a, an eternal reward. Is that right? He will. No, he will lose his rewards. This is Christian theology. You will lose rewards. If he believes and repents... If he does believe and repents, he will still lose rewards in heaven. Yes, he will lose rewards. He will make it to heaven because Christ has, has paid his sin for him. Is heaven not unalloyed bliss? Is, is heaven not what? Is heaven not unalloyed bliss for eternity? What did he say? What was it? Uh, unalloyed bliss? Is heaven not pure, unalloyed bliss? Unalloyed bliss. There is a hierarchy of rewards in heaven just like there is a hierarchy of punishment in hell. How do you know all this? Uh, from the scriptures. You ever hear of them? It's in there. I don't remember anything about that. Let's go to the that. next question, but meanwhile, do you have a quick re re rebuttal for the, uh, response? Well, I mean, this is, this is the ultimate, one of the ultimate reasons why people, you know, want to believe in God is so that there's some sort of cosmic justice as if Hitler couldn't have gotten away with it. He didn't get away with, you know, okay. You know, there's a reason we had the Nuremberg trials. We want justice now. We're not going to wait till some afterlife. Maybe there is justice in a cosmic courthouse. Maybe there isn't. Now we want justice, and we want fair justice for all people, equal under the law. That's why we fight for these things. Not because we believe it's all going to be sorted out later. Just hang them all and let God sort it out. No, no, no. <laughs> We're going to do it right here. Oh, we, we believe in both. Christians believe in justice now and later. Amen. Okay, next question. It doesn't add anything. All right. Uh, my name is Jacob. Thank Dr. you for Schirmer. taking my, my question, Dr. Schirmer. Um, so there's a bit of hypothetical in it, so please uh, bear with me. Uh, earlier you said that uh, right and wrong shift over time and come from our innate moral sense as well as our upbringings, uh, which seems to say it's largely its social contract moral relativism. So uh, my question is, what would you believe about a culture where rape and killing are morally fine and widely accepted, and uh, 
Wouldn't calling those views wrong or bad just be ethnocentric or cultural imperialism? Yeah. Okay, I'm not a moral relativist. I'm an objectivist. I think the objective standards come from within. Uh, part of our innate sense of right and wrong that we get just uh, by being social uh, primates. Uh, we add on to that our upbringing, our parents, culture, and so on. The moral arc has been bending toward justice, freedom, liberty, autonomy, and so on over the centuries, largely because, I argue in the moral arc, that we've been kind of pushing it in that direction due to the fact we are capable of interchanging our perspectives, my taking your perspective of imagining what it's like to be you. There's many drivers of this. Literature, novels is one of them. The fact that we can transport ourselves into somebody else's head in a novel means we can do it hypothetically here in real life. I can imagine what it feels like to be hurt if I'm going to hurt you. So the basis of the golden rule, which all cultures have discovered, not just Christianity, but all religions, all cultures, because it's, it's based inside of us. So from there, much follows. Uh, so, for example, we would argue that a cult... Okay, so first of all, there, there are very few cultures where they just rape and kill and it's acceptable. It's not acceptable. It's only justified under certain conditions. Uh, like in ISIS, for example, they have these bizarre interpretations of the Quran where they, it's okay to behead people and treat women a certain way and so on. But most Muslims in the West do not accept this. Okay, so there's... That, that is very rare. So, for example, even indigenous um, uh, uh, tribes where um, uh, infanticide is much higher than it is in, in the Western world, there's reasons for this. It's the, the hypothesis is the hardness of life, not the hardness of heart. The mothers who let this happen or do it, they're no less loving. Uh, it's just life is hard and they make a triage decision. What we've been able to do over the last about century and a half is outlaw infanticide and then provide social services to help uh, single moms and pregnant women and so on to, to reduce the uh, levels of unwanted pregnancies and, and abortions. And so I just wrote a column in Scientific American in which I argued, let's get off the pro-choice, pro-life, moralization divide that's, this, that's making people so upset and just say, what's the problem? Abortion, why is it a problem? Unwanted pregnancies, how can we all reduce unwanted pregnancies? Here are some tried and true techniques we know that work. Let's apply them and all get on the same page together because nobody wants more abortions. We want fewer unwanted pregnancies. Okay, that's one way to approach it. That all right, way. well, again, I think Michael is confusing what we would call in philosophy epistemology and ontology. Epistemology is how you know something's right or wrong. Ontology is the study of the actual standard known as goodness. Where is that standard? And I think what he's doing is he's making the mistake again of assuming that the standard is merely in our hearts and it's not external to us. If it's not external to us, there's no way to say that the, Jew, that the uh, Nazis at the Nuremberg trials for killing the Jews were wrong. But Frank, if, if it depends on God's existence, how do you know what God thinks is right and wrong? Well, now you're, again, you're asking an epistemological well, question. Well, you've got to know somehow you're not God. Yes. So somehow you've, di you've, di you've divined this from the scriptures okay. or you talked well, to You and I, Michael, you and I agree. Well, you and I agree how we know right from wrong. Some of the principles you no, no, mentioned. But, but how do you know what God thinks is right or wrong? Well, partially it's written on your heart, and even the Bible teaches this in Romans chapter 2. The Gentiles do not have the law of the law written on their hearts. So everybody knows it intuitively, and you get more details in the Bible, but you don't need the Bible to know right from wrong. You know it intuitively. I rest my case. Let's go to the That's next That's what I've been arguing. Yes, <laughs> you and I are the same on epistemology, but on ontology, you have no way to ground okay, your but, moral but, law. But on ontology speaking, you wouldn't know... You can't know what the mind of God is. You have to interpret it through scripture or prayer or something, right? He's written it on our hearts, and it comes from the scriptures as well. Yes. Next question for Dr. Okay. Sorry. 
Okay, and I have by the way, we'll do two more questions and then we'll have to. Uh... I have a question for Dr. Torek. Yes, sir. Um, you've given a couple of arguments against evolution being able to gain information over mm -hmm. time. And my mm -hmm. question is, why is it that when you give these arguments, you usually give a sort of an intuitive argument based on non-replicating examples? Let me explain. If you walk along and you find a watch, you know there must be a watchmaker, and that's obvious because watches don't reproduce. We don't get baby mm -hmm. watches. They mm -hmm. don't grow up into new watches. You used an example of alphabets, and alphabets don't reproduce. They don't don't have baby alphabets. You used writing in the sand, also, it doesn't reproduce. In the past, you've compared DNA to an encyclopedia, and you've said encyclopedias don't just appear on their own. And we know that because mm -hmm. there are no baby encyclopedias mm -hmm. running around. And you've used Mount Rushmore in the past as well. And yep. Mount Rushmore doesn't reproduce. Why is it that you always use these very, very bad examples, or do you just not know that evolution depends on a replicating system? Because they're not bad examples to say, how did the system get there to begin with? Where did the genetic code come from from the very beginning? It came out of replication. It repeats over and over, it, and it tri through trial order and error, for it actually gains information. In order for something to replicate, you need something, something there to begin with. Actually, replication can start with a very, very simple uh, system of just a couple of molecules. You, you start with a couple of molecules, and you grow over time. Let me ask you a question. If, if we, let, let's, let's grant that we have this PowerPoint code here built by Microsoft. If we began to mutate this uh, PowerPoint code randomly, what would happen to the program? This is called a genetic algorithm, and we use this in computer science to actually develop things. The AlphaGo system, for instance, was de designed under that exact same principle. But that wasn't my question. If we started to randomly mutate this PowerPoint code, how long would the program stay up? Uh, it, it could actually become better, and this is what really? has been shown. Yes, because it's not random. You, Frank, you create a thousand copies of it. Oh, so evolution's guided by whom then? It's not random, Frank. Who's natural it? selection? Who's is not it? Random. Who's it's it guided by then? It's, it's either guided or it's random. Who's it the, guided the, by? The, the survival uh, of these replicating molecules generates more of them, and the ones that don't replicate die. That's it. That's, that's natural. That, there's no designer pushing it along. That's that's called a tautology. Those no, that no, survive no, are the no, ones no. that survive. So and what? That's right, of course they, they survive. Let's go to the last qu next question. Last question for the evening, folks. Thank you. Sorry about that. We would love to. Uh, this is my favorite part too, but uh, unfortunately we have to be but, out of here know, by nine fifteen. We could skip our closing arguments because yeah. I'm willing to give up my five minutes if you want to take a few. Well, and I, 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 I got to say more. I've got more well, to say. So, <laughs> sorry. Frank, you don't have to give the Jesus speech. They already believe. Uh, They're they, already on your side. You like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's proceed. I have with. a captive audience. Mm -hmm. Really, Frank. <laughs> Let's proceed. The last question of the night. Thank oh. you, Dr. Schumer. We got kids. Oh, come on. <laughs> they have the best questions. Yeah, they're always for you, too, right? <laughs> I, I heard you state that the existence of God cannot be proved beyond science. But the science of mathematics tells me with the 7.3 or 7.5 billion people in the world that for the odds of me and my wife meeting, we're 1 in 20,000. And then we have to extrapolate upon that the fact that we would actually start dating that we would actually be together long enough to have children, the fact of the different possibilities of our DNA and the sperm and the egg, all these mathematical probabilities that we couldn't even have our children. And this needs to be duplicated for every generation going back to single-celled organisms to know that life can exist. So the probability of all that happening basically is one in 10 to the 2,685,000th power approximately. The universe has 10 to the 80th power 
molecules in it. So the mathematical science says that my existence and their existence is zero, but yet here I am and here they are. <laughs> so how can anything exist, science tell me I exist and not exist at the same time, one, and two, is there any possibility that anything can be explained, including God, outside of science, knowing that science tells me I'm not here, but yet here I am? <laughs> Is this for me or Frank? I don't know. I think it was for I you. I hope it's for you. I hope it's for you. I hope it's for you. Dr. Schumer's for you because my answer is God Almighty because here I am, but math right. tells me I All can't right. be here. If, if, if. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. If you won the lottery, you went out and bought tickets, 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 and, and boom, you got, you, you, would you think God made that happen? I would think by God's grace, by the fact that I'm even here, yes. But, but it's not you. It's the guy next to you, and he feels the same way. Oh, my God. I, but I can't, I can't I win the lottery if God. I don't exist. No, no, not him. I'm sorry. It's this guy. Well, he can't it, win the lottery like, if he no, doesn't I, exist. I, I, I was wrong. It's that guy. Well, he can't win the lottery if he doesn't exist. <laughs> and so, in other words, this is the law of large numbers. Somebody's got to win the lottery. By the hindsight bias, whoever won thinks it's unbelievable. It's a miracle. That want. Okay, we're forgetting the other boxes of all the people who bought tickets that didn't win, people that, and so on. It's, it's like, it's inevitable that if you have that many opportunities, something is going to happen like that. Okay, so like in, um, in terms of like miracles, what's a miracle? You know, million to one odds. Look, there's 325 million Americans. Million to one odds happen 325 times a day. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's like you watch, you know, watch the Oprah, you know, next on Oprah we have this, you know, woman that's had these incredible dreams about uh, airplane crashes and uh, so far not one of them has come true. Stay tuned. No, you're not going to see that show. You're going to see the show about the psychic who said the thing about the plane crash and then the plane crashed, right? So what about all the people that didn't uh, explain the plane crash? What about the people that said the plane was going to crash and it didn't crash, all right? So we have to take into account all the possibilities and then ask, what are the chances that, that one particular one happened? So had you not met your wife and you met some other woman, you'd be going, this is the one for me. She's a little taller, not quite as athletic, but slightly smarter, and I love her. But Whichever the, one you married, you're going to be happy with. It would hopefully. be the same odds, however. The math doesn't change based <laughs> upon me meeting someone else. Well, let, let, Frank, you want to respond? And then I think we're done because it is 9 yeah. o'clock and we have to... As I said, be out of here by I don't know if I understood the question completely, but I agree with Michael that when you're looking in hindsight, there's it's different there. probabilities than if you predict something to happen and it happens. That's why prophecy is, uh, is so convincing, uh, but not just looking in hindsight. Like drawing the, drawing the bullseye around the dart that's already there is not, is not impressive, but the other way so around let's, is. Uh, Dr. Shermer, do you want uh, five minutes in closing, or do you want to? Uh, yeah, 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 sure. I mean, uh, Fr Frank's going to give his. Uh, yeah, he's going to do it, so you might as well. Give his come to get Jesus a, get a, get a speech and <laughs> John three sixteen, and you already believe. I don't know what you. <laughs> okay. You're already in church, Frank. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, glad you uh, I don't have a prepared speech. Let me just talk to you off the top of my head and from my heart. Uh, you know, I, I used to sit where, where you sat for seven years. I, as I mentioned, I was an evangelical born-again Christian. I went to Pepperdine University, first four-year graduating class at the Malibu campus. It was a great experience. I very much enjoyed uh, the Christian fellowship I had there. I took courses in the writings of C.S. Lewis, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the life of Jesus. I know the stories. I know all the arguments. Uh, I know the feeling uh, that, you know, everything happens for a reason. It all falls into place. Whether this happens or that happens, it's good, it's bad, whatever. 
God's intent. I, I, I know the arguments. I know the feeling. I get it. Okay, and so what are we talking about here tonight? Well, this business about reality. Okay, the reason I like science is because it's the best tool ever developed for understanding reality because it has a self-correcting mechanism built into it. It has a way of saying, look, we're all biased. We're all subject to the confirmation bias, hindsight bias, and all these cognitive uh, biases that lead us to find evidence to believe what we already believe and to ignore the disconfirming evidence. Everybody does it, including scientists who have their cherished theories and so on, and they hang on to them and they sort through the evidence to support it and so on. The difference is that in science, you, you can't do that uh, and get away with it for very long because somebody else is going to try to find the flaws in your research. So built into the scientific process, which makes it so useful, is that if you don't look for your flaws, somebody else will. It, usually with great glee in a published forum to say, ha ha, I disproved the great scientist and made my name and so on. Um, I don't see that religion has anything uh, quite like that, as I mentioned. All these different religions, I brought up several examples. Uh, there's many more. They believe as passionately as you do in their doctrines and beliefs. They claim they have evidence. They claim and they make great arguments. How is an outsider to tell? If you're an anthropologist from Mars and you come to visit Earth and you sit down with each of these different, say, 50 groups, they're making these compelling cases, and you say, well, I can't decide. Is there some experiment we can run to decide which is the right one? No. There isn't. Uh, so I'll, I'll mention my friend um, uh, Ken Miller, who is one of the great biologists uh, of the 20th century and uh, teaches at Brown University. And he was the um, he was the expert witness in the Dover trial. This was the intelligent design creationism trial uh, in Dover, Pennsylvania. Uh, and he was there on the side of science and evolution. And uh, and he's a Christian. He's a born again Christian. He's not an evangelical. He's Catholic. But uh, so I've known Ken a long time. We talk about, he knows all my arguments. I know his arguments. Uh, you know, I said, Ken, why do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And, uh, and he says, it's my faith tradition. It's how I was raised. It works for me. It's a truth inside me. Uh, and that's it. I'm not claiming I can prove it. It's just my truth. Okay, I respect that. You know, full stop. Okay, there's really nothing more for us to talk about on that particular thing. Um, and uh, Francis Collins, who I also know, who's the head of the National Institutes of Health. He was the head of the Human Genome Project. He's a born-again evangelical Christian. Uh, and even he tells me, you know, that, uh, okay, look, I, I, I know you have arguments, we have arguments. It can't be settled. You know, it's a personal experience for me. He talks about this in his book, you know, out on a path, on a hike and frozen waterfall, the whole thing. Yeah, okay, I get that. It's, it's totally understandable. There's these internal truths that we can't prove one way or the other, like free will and determinism. You know, there's no good resolution to this. To me, it's a useful fiction. I feel like I'm free. I argue that I'm free. I'm a compatibilist. I think there's a reasonable case to be made, but plenty of people are determinists. They also have good arguments. Some things you just go, okay, I'm just going to believe. Fine. Uh, but you don't have to. Let me make that as my final point. You don't have to have this outside source. Uh, we can get it from within and through each other, through our... Uh, families and our relationships, uh, through our communities, extended families and communities, through expanding out to our society, to everyone, that we've all been working uh, for centuries now on bending the moral arc toward justice and freedom and liberty and autonomy for more people in more places, more of the time. There are more democracies than there's ever been. 
there are fewer homicides and crime rates is down over the decades. Uh, more people have live under uh, constitutional democracies now and have protections, gays and women and minorities. Uh, they're all human. They deserve the same treatment as everybody else. And that, you don't need an outside source to tell us that. You know, you know how to find out? Just ask them. Would you like to be treated fairly? They'll tell you, yes. You know, Frank, you, you mentioned infidelities. Uh, you don't have to ask God if how your spouse is going to feel, uh, whether cheating on your spouse is okay. Just ask your spouse. You don't even actually have to ask. <laughs> Just do the thought experiment in your head. You'll know. Okay, you'll know. So you, you don't have to have the outside source. If, if you want it, fine. But just be good for goodness sake. That's good enough. Thank you. Dr. Turek. I, I prefer to, uh, to call this a come to evidence meeting rather than a come to Jesus meeting. And let me just say that uh, I tried to show that all of these effects have a cause and I think the cause is God. I did not see other than speculations from Michael saying, but it could be this, it could be that. He didn't really give a positive case for a world without God. He didn't give a positive case for how, in the absence of God, any of these things could come into existence. In fact, I think that atheists have to have extraordinary faith because they have to have the faith that there is creation without a creator, design without a designer, laws without a lawgiver, programs without a programmer, freedom without free will because we're just molecules in motion, order without an orderer, morality from molecules, and rationality from randomness. I think the evidence shows that there has to be a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created all things and sustains all things and whose every attribute is infinite. I couldn't go through all the arguments today for that, but I think that's the case. Now, during the uh, cross-examination, we brought up Jesus. And I think you could turn the science in crimes to sacrifice as well. Because if this being does exist, he's a moral being, and he finds that the creatures he loves are in trouble, at some point, he's going to come rescue them. September 29th, 2006, Petty Officer Michael Monsor is a United States Navy SEAL operating in Ramadi, Iraq. He's got two other Navy SEALs flanking him. They're on a roof. Mansoor is in front of a doorway to that roof. They've taken RPG fire, AK-47 fire, but they don't presently know where the enemy is, so they're waiting for the next attack. Suddenly, an insurgent from an unknown location throws a grenade on the roof. It hits Mansoor in the chest and falls to his feet. He has a split second to make a decision. He can leap through the doorway behind him and save himself, but if he does, his two Navy SEAL colleagues in the prone position next to him will surely die. So Monsor yells, grenade! And then he jumps chest first onto the grenade. It detonates. 30 minutes later, he dies. His two Navy SEAL colleagues receive mi minor injuries, but they're fine. One of the survivors said, Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you will not take my friends, I will go in their stead. I've never seen a United States president cry until April of 2008. That's when President George W. Bush called Monsoor's parents into the East Room of the White House and gave Monsoor's parents his Medal of Honor posthumously. Since then, 
Montsor's High School has named their stadium after him. The Golden Trident, the SEAL Golden Trident, is at the 50-yard line. And the United States Navy has named a ship, the USS Michael Montsor. He literally gave his life for his friends. There's no greater love than to give your life for your friends. Michael Monsoor did it. He sacrificed himself when he easily could have saved himself. He died for his friends. The question is, has anybody or would anybody die for you? And the answer is, someone already has. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, the same being that created and sustains the universe, came, added humanity over his deity, came to earth and lived the perfect life in your place, and by trusting in him, you can not only be forgiven, you can be given his righteousness. And he proved it by rising from the dead. You say, Frank, how do you know that? Well, I don't have time in the next minute to go through all the evidence, but let me just say this, and that is Christians do not believe that Christianity is true, that Jesus rose from the dead because a series of documents we put under one binding called the Bible says it's true. Christianity is true because an event occurred. In fact, Christianity would be true if the Bible had never been written because the book did not give us Christianity. The resurrection gave us the book. There wouldn't even be a New Testament if it wasn't for the resurrection. What are Jews inventing a resurrected Jesus for? To get themselves beaten, tortured, and killed? Every writer of the New Testament, with the exception of Luke, is a Jew. They already think they're God's chosen people. Why are they inventing a resurrected Jesus? They're not. The reason that we know it's true is because there's evidence it's true. 1,985 years ago, he walked out of a tomb and proved to everybody that he truly was the savior. He jumped on the grenade for us. The question is, have you accepted that? Will you accept that? It's free, why wouldn't you? That's why we're here. Thank you. I hope you've had time to reflect on each of, can you go to uh, slides? Thank oh, you. sorry. I uh, had time to reflect on each of the presentations and evaluate them in light of what I said at the beginning, and that is your two ways to refute an argument. Now, um, as you go home, actually, you can go back to the slide before that, Frank. Thank okay. You. Hold um, on. Hold on I'll a second. Drive. I got it. Thank you. Is that there right? we go. Okay. As you go home, remember these points and discuss it with your friends, but don't forget it. Thank you. So uh, I want to thank the, uh, the, the organiz organizers here, South Valley Community Church in Gilroy. In fact, Frank will be speaking at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Gilroy. So if you go to FCC, sorry, svccchurch.com, you can find out what it is. And he's uh, as dynamic as he is here. Um, Vintage Faith sponsored, and Dan Kimball will come up shortly. And then, of course, Westgate Church. I also want to uh, um, recognize Weston Seminary and Re the Regeneration Pro Project, Regen, who also sponsored this event. And these are great uh, organizations. And I think uh, Weston Seminary has a booth outside. Outside, well, uh, you will find books for uh, Dr. Turek. Michael didn't bring his books, but he, they are available on Amazon, correct? And so, all fine bookstores. And all everywhere. fine bookstores. <laughs> if there are any left, right? There aren't any <laughs> left, but uh, we definitely want you to go pick up their books. And then my ministry is called No Blind Faith. And uh, yeah, I brought some books because I'm going to talk tomorrow with Frank. And I want to just promote 
Uh, one of the things that we do at No Blind Faith is we tell you about events like this. Just out of curiosity, how many people are on the Silicon Valley uh, apologetics mailing list? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, so if you look around, you'll see those guys heard about this event through that mailing list. In fact, they got to hear about it since before the rest of you did in most cases. So if you want to be on the Silicon Valley uh, apologetics mailing list, and to hear about other debates with uh, people like Michael Shermer, people like, uh, or even uh, discussions and talks like Frank's, uh, then you want to be on this. So what you do is you text VAC to 42828. So 42828 is the number, and VAC, you just text that, it'll ask you for your email address, and that way you'll get on the list. We don't sell you any, uh, we don't try to sell you anything, and we don't ask for donations. Uh, and uh, Dr. Shermer, has been on two TED Talks, and they were one of the most watched talks. Frank and I were very jealous about this, <laughs> and we wanted to do our own TED Talk. So <laughs> tomorrow, in fact, uh, could you, uh, Wayne and Ajit, if you are here, could you come help us? We have handouts for the event tomorrow at Valley Church that they will be passed out to you. Again, if you're on the mailing list, you will get it tonight. So uh, we're going to do four talks. Frank and I are going to do four talks uh, about various different topics, and you'll get the handout in just a second. Um, and then again, so let me wrap up with telling you that uh, make sure you sign up for the mailing list. Make sure you come to hear Frank on Sunday at, Silic at South Valley Community Church. And uh, come listen to us at Valley Church tomorrow. And again, thank you to all the participants. Thank you, Dr. Shermer. Thank you, Frank. And have a great time. And they will be outside right. talking you, to you guys. Thanks, man. It was good. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks, thank you.